With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is going on? Episode 136 of the Sims and Lefko podcast. Sims, how you feeling? I'm good. How are you? Fedrick, how you doing? I am just Are lovely. we not allowed to talk with like the intro music? Nope. Like, uh, well, that's I, what, that's... I can promise you, Rod, Simba, next week I am going to ruin the intro music. I'm going to just be loud. So I wanted to let it breathe, start. but like it always is, I got Sims breathing down my neck. He's got a Yankees game that he's got to watch. Yeah. We went to the game, game three. You went to game four. He just slammed my head into the mic again. That's what Stop. he Stop. <laughs> How how was the atmosphere? Uh, best atmosphere I've ever been in any stadium ever. Ever? No. Ever. They no. were down 4-0. It was bonkers. Back. Bonkers. And you it said was... you were going bonkers. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we all were. I mean, it was... Who is we all? I mean, anybody in my section, the whole stadium. We were jumping around, slapping fives, Who'd you go fist with? bumps. I went with a few friends from uh, my, home, uh, my town. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it was great, though. I mean... First of all, you're telling me the Yankee Stadium was crazier than playing at Oklahoma, like all the places you've played? I don't think I've ever heard a stadium going as crazy as that place did when Aaron Judge hit the double off the wall. Maybe it was crazier when we were there when Aaron Judge hit the home run. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, Judge hit a home run, too, but (laughs) it was 4-0. I know. And it was a pitcher's duel, and then it became 4-0, and we're down four in the seventh inning. And you felt like, were you drinking? Uh, I had just a little bit. I wasn't going okay. crazy. I had two big beers, but no, yeah, I mean, it was it was perfect. Two I was big just beers for you. Two, two big, big beers. beers. I was right in the right frame of mind. That's and we perfect. Were, it's crazy. This team gives you belief. Like, it, it, even when we were down 4-0, everyone was like, uh, well, we can get things going. Exactly. And then it just kind of chipped so away. So when Fendrick and I were there on Monday. Right. Tense rows ahead of us. The most beautiful head of hair that I've ever seen. <laughs> Luscious locks. I thought Zeus was sitting ten rows in front of us. Right. Nope. It was Robert Kraft sitting there with Les Moonves oh. and some other big ballers. Talking about yeah. Deflategate. There were these two little kids that we thought were talking shit to Kraft the entire time. Right. And as he was leaving, he actually walked up and Fincher was like, oh my God, he's going to go talk to those kids. Ends up taking a photo, takes off his Super Bowl ring, yeah. gives it to the kids, and that was when everybody went from, oh, there's Robert Kraft, to let me stand up if he's letting people hold the Super Bowl ring. <laughs> and the entire bottom deck just changed. Right. Robert Kraft, man, he's just got the juice. Well, he's a great guy. He just walks around. He's got it. He's a good dude. I mean, I don't want him at my Yankees games. He Go to your Fenway Red Sox games, okay? Yeah. Well, you yeah, come to Yankee meeting. Stadium, root against the Yankees, too. I want to boo his ass while he's there, too. He was getting booed. Good. He, was he deserves it. Uh, so, also, I'm watching the game last night. I'm out for Taco Tuesday with the lady. Yo. And I'm watching the game, and then I look back at the basketball game, and I see LeBron with his head in his hands, and I see Dwayne Wade praying, and right. I go, I go, babe, 
someone's out. Yeah. Like someone's hurt. Right. And they show the Celtics and they show Kyrie Irving and go, you're telling me Kyrie Irving got hurt? And then I see the Gordon Hayward play and I go, Gordon Hayward's out for the season and it's not a sports bar. And everyone's like, I go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like I just knew. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yes. Bad. It's disgusting. So you had no idea, though. Was it passing around? No, Yankee somebody. Stadium? It was somebody at, during the game behind me. It was like, oh man, Gordon Hayward broke his leg. He's out for the year already. Man, and uh, you, nobody in our area, of course, it's full of Yankee fans. Nobody drew for the Celtics. Nobody course. gave a damn. Everybody was like. The- it Happy. goes to the Mount Rushmore of injuries, though. The Kevin Ware, Paul George, uh, Willis McGay, all those guys. Right. And still not as nasty as Joe Theismann, but oh, uh, it, it's up there. It's to me, though, gross. it was one of those things that you said. When you, hear, when you see players react and they cover their ears, yes. it's when you know they heard it. No doubt about it. It, 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 also, it also annoyed me, first of all. Like, you know, again, like ESPN. I can't stand ESPN. All right, they have their own. They think they know everything. They're going to tell Bill Belichick how to coach the uh, Patriots. But the first thirty-five minutes of Sports Center last night is on Game One of the NBA season. Uh, I don't give a fuck. I don't care if LeBron James' leg broke in half. I don't give a fuck. It's Game this One. Is ALCS. Right. Game Four. It's NLCS. Stupid. Game three. I'm hot today. I can Dude, tell. I. I, I he, he walked in. You got a fresh haircut. Yep. So you're down 400 bucks. <laughs> you're feeling it. I have no life this week. When I have Notre Dame, I just I have too many people texting me, so I go crazy. I just yeah. NBC's texting me. You're texting me. Canvassers texting me. Everybody wants fucking answers to everything. Fuck off. And you're exhausted because <laughs> the Yankees game last. Yeah. Night. Well, no, actually, I mean the game started the at, at five. five o'clock. That's the other thing. Like five o'clock game in New York City. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, are you fucking Why kidding me? Why does that upset you too, dude? You are so hot. That's right not now. even like uh, the traffic, the Ubers. It's not even possible. It's not even Take possible. The train. I I probably should have, but I wasn't in the city Can yesterday. You imagine Sims on the so train. I went oh. home. Me and Fendrick were face to face on the train, and I was like uncomfortable. And we Just, took a local train. We took the six. Yeah. yeah well, it's better than going in the car. I can promise you. Oh, no, absolutely. Thirty sixes. Let me start you off with one uh, non-sport. Carlos Beltran. Who else you got in the NFL? Number oh, 36. 30, uh, let's see. Hmm. I, was, I don't know why I thought we were in 37. I got a great 36. I mean, Jerome Bettis is the first 36 yep. that popped into my head. DJ Swearinger's 36. Yep. Um, let's see. Other great 36s. I'm always thinking my dad's team. There was a guy named uh, Haynes, Mark Haynes. That there was absolutely number 36. was. Mark Haynes. You like that? He's uh, on my old dude old section. Old dude section. Went to the Broncos. He got traded he the did. year the Giants Win, won the Super Bowl to the Broncos early in the year. Isn't oh. that fucked up, right? Yeah, so I'll never forget him. He was a good player. Um, so he was part of the Marcus that Smart, 36. 25 to your dad? He was definitely, yeah, he was part of that, right. Marcus Smart, no. Celtics. No, Yes, he uh, is. Yes. Damn. Yep. Um, hold on. I guess You're all over the place. Let me see. Other 36s. Who else am I missing? Well, okay, let's just it. go, go to ahead. Josh. Josh, who do you got? You're missing Courtney Green from New Rochelle. Oh, a safety my on the 2006 Rutgers football team. <laughs> Local guy. Don't know how you forgot that one. Kasim uh, Green? Courtney Green. Kasim Green. No, Courtney Green. Okay. Kasim Green was also... On that team. Uh, not on that team. He okay. came later. But All right, fine. Courtney Green so was the safety on the 2016. Okay. He came from New Rochelle with Glenn Lee and Ray Rice. Okay. Currently yeah. very underwhelming. Dwayne Washington running back for uh, Don't Lions. question my Rutgers knowledge. Uh, DJ Swearinger, uh, Robert McLean, Sean Williams from the Bengals, DeAndre mm. Houston Carson, Buda Baker, and then your family member, LaShawn Sims. Oh, good old LaShawn. My long-lost cousin. Uh, all-time running backs, Clem Daniels, running back for the Oakland Raiders, Steve Owens, Heisman Trophy winner, Lamar Smith, Vi Sikahema, oh. the punt return, kick returner that uh, punched the uh, 
Uh, why was called? that the, Why was that a penalty the other day when Le'Veon Bell did that? We'll talk about it when we get okay. there. Jerome Bettis and Brian Westbrook. Is Brian Westbrook a Hall of Famer? No, but he was. he's an NFL he legend. He fucking unreal. He was unreal. Uh, all the names team, Lawyer Malloy, uh, Merton Hanks, mm. Benny Blades. Oh, man. What was Benny Blades' real name? Do you know? Uh... No. It wasn't Benny. It wasn't? It was Horatio Benedict Blades, <laughs> which is almost as good as Benny. <laughs> Recent guys, Jim Leonard, Nick Collins, and your guy, Tenard Jackson. Yo, T-Jack. Uh, late 90s, the real Sean Williams, the giant safety who always was a baller. Right. Leroy Butler mm. and Mike Zordich. Damn, more 36s than I, than I thought. And then old dudes, you said Mark Haynes, Terry McDaniel, and Bill Thompson, NBA, Marcus Smart, Eden Thomas, Eton Thomas, and Rashid Wallace. Rashid was a 36 for a while? for a few years. I always picture him in 30. You know, all right, it. let's do a little constitution. I'm going to table new constitution stuff this week. For the Yankees? I just know we're <laughs> running, I'm running out of time, <laughs> and we're going to put it in there, though. But we do need to read the new, like the what have been, what is it called? Ratified. Uh, so I am going to need the music. Uh, Josh, our man Lito Quirky has gone out what up, and he Lito? has written in the new constitution for 13, 14, and 15. 13. Oh my gosh. In order for Fendrick to show his loyalty to one of the most obscure programs, he will always highlight a player during our numbers section. Yeah, yeah. 99% of our listeners will not know of any of these Maryland or Rutgers athletic program players. Is there a great reason for this? No. But damn it, Frederick knows his stuff and will always let us know who is important in that area of sports world. And it keeps him from talking about Survivor. It's true. That is number it is, 13. It is true. Let's go. Well, Frederick will always find a Rutgers Maryland player. When there is a question that requires us to choose from the entire league, we will not be the crew that just defaults to a big name on a big team simply because they're what's fresh in our minds. We're going to try and pander to teams of the larger fan base. No, we will look over the entire league. We will pull up the teams and attempt to make an informed decision based on merit, production, and whatever the fuck else Sims deems important. Oh, it's gone over the beginning. Go ahead. Restart. And this is the one that we need to do, addressing social problems. When social issues arrive, we cannot simply ignore it and hope it goes away anymore. Whether it be what is personally important to us or what is personally important to others, we must all realize that we are part of nature and our communities. Well put. And not apart from nature and our communities. So you desire to feel fucking normal comes second to our desire to actually address important issues. Way to go. And then this is the last one. I'm Stats. proud. Proud to be a Simpson Lefkoian. Until NFL statisticians can properly quantify a damn, he fucked him up though play. <laughs> we understand that the box score will not tell us everything we need to know about the game. Disruptive plays, disruptive plays do still have an impact on a game, even though it doesn't show up on the stat line. And that is... I love that. That was, that was some good wording there. Good job, Lido. Lido. Quirky. What up, Lido? Uh, so we have some new <laughs> submissions. I will check them. I will star them. And we will put them next week. Uh, we do have the White Boy Supreme that still has to be made a list. And we have some possible names for the list. Okay. Which I believe we're going to start next week. Greg Blankley wants to be known as the Slot Machines. <laughs> Blake Andrew Pace, the White Boy's Whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> Drew called. That's, they're the, both good. The White Boy Supreme Shrine. 
Insight. Uh, he wanted to say that the original white boy Supremes were Jimmy Orr and Raymond Berry, and that Berry used to walk around squeezing silly putty to keep his fingers strong before the cheater's gloves and stick them. And he also wanted to add Johnny U to this list. Uh, and then another possible name. White Boy Supreme list should be called the White Boy Supreme Running Roster because it will be continued added. That was Quan Melvin. There are all a lot of good ones there. Which today. one stuck out to you though? I want to make that announcement right now. The oh. whiteboard got the best laugh. Well, the know. whiteboard and what was the first the slot machine? The slot machines were really good. Both of those, uh, man. And what is Sims's pick? I think the whiteboard, white whatever the one. White that one. boys whiteboard. Yes, <laughs> and that's what we're going with. Blake Andrew Pace, congratulations! You are now officially a part of the podcast. Blankly Cobb Insight, and also my main man Melvin. Uh, Thank you so much. That was awesome. I'm glad you laughed at it. But the White Boys whiteboard is officially a thing. Because we can erase that crap as soon as you don't become supreme. Uh, number two on the Constitution, we will always. Kyle Shanahan is our favorite coach in the NFL. Kyle Shanahan. First, the 0 and 6 49ers have a better point differential than the 3 and 3 Cardinals. Wow. The Cardinals are minus 39, the Niners are minus 33. I bet you it's probably better than a few teams, right? I mean, the Ravens, I would think, are probably in that category. I don't know, but go ahead. Kyle Shanahan, quote, about his new quarterback. Right. He is a gym rat. He doesn't do it to impress you. He does it because he enjoys it. He's going to see a lot of things he hasn't seen before, and that will change each week. That will probably change each quarter. Heck, it could change each play. It's really how a guy handles that stuff. He's got the ability. I think he's got the mental toughness. I think it will get better the more he plays. What do you think about C.J. Beathard? Okay. Uh, now that you've watched the film. Yeah. I, l- listen, there's a lot to like about C.J. Beathard. Really? Well, there's a lot. Yes, th- this is the thing I like. He is tough as hell. He's fearless. He really, you know, in layman's terms, just has bigger balls than Brian Hoyer. I'm sorry. That's really all there is to it. As a decision maker, as a guy just trying to extend a play, whatever it may be. Can I do some left-go inventory? Yeah, How's sure. his arm strength? His arm strength is... NFL starting quarterback average. How's he spin it? Just okay. How's I'm not his accuracy? Just okay. How is is he doing any reading of the defense at the line of scrimmage? Uh, it didn't seem like it, but Kyle's not a huge like. Let's check at the line of scrimmage. It's He's kind of like what I've already figured out what when we get in this formation, this is what they're going to do. Is so there just, anything that Brian Hoyer does better than him? Um, no, I really don't think there so is. So it just comes down to who's got a little bit more guts. I think he does. Yes, and he, you're telling me that this guy. What it, What were the plays that come to mind that you're like, oh, he's got some confidence? Well, just you know, I think about it, the game started off a little shaky. He had some drop passes, had a ball that was almost intercepted, and then he threw like a seam pass down the middle to Kittle. It's kind of a wobbling ball, but it still wasn't an easy throw. Came off a little quick play action pass, and I mean, just. He was aggressive in his decision and his throw in general. And then he really, after that, got some confidence and was good from that standpoint on. Now, uh, listen, I don't think he's the answer for the... He's not the long-term I don't think so. But for this year, where they're so freaking close... Give it a try. Give it a try. Yes, sir. I okay. think that's the way to go. That game uh, was misleading. It really wasn't that close. If you really break it down... The fumble that we still don't think was a fumble for Washington, right. the 49ers returned to the one. DJ Swearinger getting the personal foul when they had a third down stop led them to going for it on fourth and one on the one to score the touchdown before the half. Gotcha. There was a few plays in the game where the Redskins more screwed it up than... 
this is the opposite of your Chiefs point of a team that hasn't won yet, but in every game there's been two to three plays that like have completely changed the game for them. Correct? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're they're you're right. They're the example of the team that you want to go. You want to know how close the league is. They're the perfect example. Yes, and they can't make that two or three plays every game to kind of put them over the edge. Let alone they've been screwed by two bad offensive passes. Mike, Pereira, yeah, yeah. Mike yes. Pereira came out and said the Niners are being screwed. Yeah. Their last two offensive pass interference calls, the one against the Rams, the right. one against the Washington, were completely wrong. Pitiful. There's some, we, we've been talking about this for a few weeks. Yeah. Offensive pass interference was undoubtedly something passed along to all of the referees to yes. make a, pre, a point. Right. And I, I don't know if it's because of Kyle's route combinations and setting picks. I don't know what it is, but they're getting really hit with it hard. They're, they're trying to be really strict with it calling when I watch it on film. And if you don't follow the rule textbook-wise as far as picking a guy at one yard yeah. one yard down the field is as far as you can go. The only team that I watch by watch week to week that we're is, gonna get to that later. is textbook is the New England Patriots. They do it the right way every time. Very Isn't surprising. it crazy that yeah. a team would practice how to do something to it's not amazing. get penalized? Crazy. Wow. Hey, did you hear that the Bills worked out a quarterback this week? You know, I think I did hear a little something about that. <laughs> His name's Matt Sims. Any relation? I don't know. Chris? I know that guy. <laughs> do you? <laughs> Any chance? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it is was, your brother staying healthy, staying working out. Yeah, all that? yeah, he's he is. He's um, he's dying for a team to call him. He's had a lot of teams call. A lot of teams ask where he's at. He he kind of ended the preseason with a little bit of a knee injury, so he had oh, like a. Oh shit! I didn't know that. Yeah, he did. He had like a three week period where he wasn't even allowed to be signed by a team, if it were, because he was not healthy. And I think Damn. I think the Falcons paid him a little money because of it. Um, but yes, he's back healthy. Did work out there yesterday. I know he said it went well. I didn't talk much about it. But it's more what teams do just to keep inventory of what's on the street, right? In case right. something happens, they're going to go, okay, well, we have our you get paid to go we work have out? Our board, our whiteboard here of who's our top five free agent quarterbacks off the street, whatever it may just be. Just in case something just happens. Just in case something happens. Do you right. get paid to go work out? No, you don't. It's just, do they fly you out, though? They fly you out. They put you up, all of that. Um the biggest thing too is it does go on like the NFL, uh, you know, transaction list at yeah. the end of the day. So if another team wants you and they see that the Bills worked you out, they might sign they you. They might, right? At least they go, oh, okay, the Bills brought him in, so they're yes. So we'll see. That's we'll see good. Then. Yeah. Do pulling for him. I know. If Bill Belichick brings someone in and other people see that, does that mean more? Because everyone's like, "Oh shit, Belichick's onto this guy. We the, should we should look at him." Uh, the, what happens there is, I mean, people should do that, of course. But what happens there, and this is the what the the worst thing about working there, especially when you were a bitch boy like me in the scouting department, is they work out everybody. So again, like when I know a lot more than other teams, they work out fucking everybody because they want to update all the time they're gonna know everything oh well, if we're, who's watching the workouts uh all the scouts nick casario nick casario i would imagine bill guy. most of the time not always if it's some guys in a position of need he's gonna be out there if it's just like a tuesday where we're taking inventory on the 10 best tackles on the street yeah he might not show up for that one but Yes, it is the worst thing about working in the scouting department because all you do is pick people up and drive them to the airport all day, all week long. So you're just, do you have any funny stories from that? I mean, oh, I, I mean, I have a that lot. Sounds of, like a podcast in itself. Me, yeah, I mean, just driving players, workout me, players to the me office. and like because um, you're a you driving Dallas first Clark. of all. Yeah, I know. First of all, <laughs> Chris <laughs> Sims is the angriest, loudest driver ever. If there's a car in front, I mean, he's going to yell him off the road. Guys are getting so, out of the car, being like, "We're not coming here." So this you have crazy. Dallas Clark in the back. I've had Dallas Clark in the car with me. And what did um, you guys talk about? I had I got in charge of Dwight Freeney the time he was there. Anytime there was kind of an old 
older player that I crossed over playing with, they were like, Chris, why don't you get him? And yeah. whatever. We talk about whatever it may be. Jeff Saturday, Carr once. But Dwight Freeney had a weird thing where I picked him up that morning, brought him back to the facility. Great. Oh, you know Dwight, right? You go pick him up. Yeah, I met him like once, but sure. Yeah, I don't have any film to break down, guys. Don't worry. I'll go get him. <laughs> You were the bitch boy. I was the fucking bitch boy. <gasps> but then what happened too was on like on a uh, like a Friday where the day is shorter and I'm like, oh, I can get out of the building at a good time today. They're like, you know, Dwight, you live in Boston, right? I mean, because I lived in da- Dwight wants to go to one of those really good lobster roll places. <laughs> he what? wants. Can you take him? And I was like, sure, I'll take him. No problem. <laughs> And then how was it? You I had, mean, you had lobster rolls with Dwight. I didn't have the lobster rolls. I had something else because I don't do lobster rolls. But why do you not? do I lobster? don't know. Cold fish on a bun just ain't cool to me. Okay, I just don't know what that. <laughs> what do you mean it's delicious? I mean, we'll fucking cook it, and make it hot, and put it in some pasta or something, or just put it by itself. But I'm not. <laughs> so, but you like sushi. I do, but cold lobster just I don't know. There's no. It just doesn't do it. For doesn't you. do it for have me. Have you right. tried it? No. For new listeners to the podcast, <laughs> I might have to buy you a lobster roll. Better be really fucking good. First, first like few episodes. Yeah, we had Sims try something on every he episode. He tried a, pu- a pudding, yeah, a banana, uh, no, and a and a, a bagel. bagel. Yeah, a bagel, right? Very unimpressed with bagels. <laughs> uh, one thing that you should be impressed with is the Jet safeties. I need you to officially pick a nickname. Are oh, you ready? Yeah. Patrick Ermlick, the Jetpack. That was from last week, right? Jets Joe seventy three, New Jack City. Ooh, it's a good one. Love it. I do too. Liam Swag won May and Dismay. <laughs> May and Dismay. So it's down to three. Okay. The Jetpack. Right. New Jack City. May and Dismay. Mm. I think I like New Jack City. What do you think, Fendrick? I like Jetpack, but I'm I'm in for New Jack City as well. When I got the tweet, right. New Jack City, I went, fuck yeah. Yeah. Like and in my head. That's We're going New York. It's a movie about New York. I mean, there's a lot of good. So we have now created two nicknames for everyone else in the NFL. You can use it at your own discretion. The Chicago running backs are the Hebrew and the Hammer, which is awesome. (laughs) It's awesome. And the Jet safeties are New Jack City. Man. Which I love as well. Yes. Congratulations, Jets Joe seventy three, who we totally thought was Joe. We Klecko, thought it was Joe Klecko, and we DM'd him, and we're like, "Yo, is this Joe Klecko?" He goes, "I wish," and I was like, <laughs> "Fuck, I wish too." Um, but I saw the Jaguars put out recently; they want a nickname for their secondary. Oh, okay. Which we, I, maybe we can we can help them out. What Big do you think? cats. <laughs> <laughs> People actually asked for you to do more animal impersonations. Oh, they your no problem. All right, so yeah, that was Big your Jaguar. Big Cat Rescue. Did you guys see that on the Thursday night game a few weeks ago? Big Cat Rescue. That was the thing I was with in Tampa. I would always bring like uh, kids, shel- shelter home kids, people like oh, that. that was to like Big your cat- charity. Yeah, that was my charity, yes. So you'd take them so you'd play with the cats. Right, yeah, well, they didn't play with them because they would eat you. But yeah, oh, you, you. You, you said, hey, cat. And you looked at them and they had a big <laughs> sanctuary to walk around. So and- do the Jaguar sound again? <laughs> That's, uh, that's what they play over the loudspeaker at Penn, Penn State. State. Yeah. Oh, and my gosh. Uh, Northwestern, too. It'll fucking drive you crazy at <laughs> Penn State game. First down, Penn State. <laughs> <laughs> Tackle, Penn State. <laughs> uh, what about an elephant, Chris? <laughs> no, that's... <laughs> <laughs> And let's do uh, let's do one more. Do you have an animal? Oh man, <laughs> my little girl's gonna be disappointed. Uh, do I have an animal? Of course you do. What I do in my house right now is try to do cat sounds with my little girl. Like we have four cats, you know that. Three of them are under my command. What but does that mean? They're un- they're like they're I'm the leader of the the pack. Like is it because you feed them? Well, it's just because you are Mufasa. I'm Mufasa. I've always they grew up with me. I've 
pet them. I show attention. But we got this other cat, Nevis, right? My family, my wife, and my and they want to get him. He's fucking crazy cat. I mean, he's got hit, he's the one I told you got hit by a car. He came home, his eye was popped out of the socket. <laughs> And he broke his face, but he lived. It's like a Chris Sims story. Uh, but <laughs> he lived, but he is under the command of my little girl. And I try to gain his command back. So she, like, has his call down, and I try to outcall her for him. What do you mean? What's her call? She, like, has his meow down to, like, it's like, and does he respond to it? Your family is so interesting. Does he respond? He, like, runs to it. So he knows. He is. Cats That's are amazing. so smart. That's amazing. People don't realize that and just so because do they don't come time? up to you at the door where they go, <laughs> I'm a dog. Ha, ha, ha. Cats so are do like, the cat one more time. Meow, meow. <laughs> Pretty good. If you Play heard- that for your cats. <laughs> if you could send us video of Chris calling over your cat, that would be incredible. You know, I do want Philip back on the podcast, but I kind of think we should bring in Nevis and Charlotte and just have them talk to each other on the podcast. That would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and to see how, okay, I'm uh, done. I like we needed another animal in our house. I want to give a quick little Lefko uh, Wentz boner. Because Ooh. if he keeps winning, I'm going to keep dunk. getting boners. Front dunk. Carson Wentz is the most blitzed quarterback in the NFL. Blitzed yeah. on 39.3% of his dropbacks. And against that, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Unreal. I wouldn't blitz is that there, fucker. Is there fear to, as an Eagles fan that people will stop blitzing him and just dropping people back? Well, they're going to see that stat and they're going to go, man, well, what, why, why does everybody keep doing this then? And Someone's going to break it down eventually and go, you know what? Why would we give this guy a one-on-one opportunity on the outside? Why would we give him the chance to make one guy miss? Right. But the offensive line's been good enough that you kind of have to blitz. Yeah, they're, you're going to have to be. You're going to have to be careful, especially with Lane Johnson clearing concussion protocol, which is great. We had two iTunes comments that were Eagles related. Three Eagles fan again, love them. Fly Eagles fly. The question is for L E F K O E. Man, are you ready to believe in this Eagles team? They've battled key injuries to some of their best players, and they still win. It doesn't matter. This is the best team in the NFC. And then Bernard. Harahan, five stars, but need a crossover. If L E F K O E man. man picks against the Eagles one more time, he should change his name to G R E E N B E R G Greenberg. <laughs> also, I'm going to need a crossover pod with Sims and Russ talking about football, football, and kids. It's from my other Philly podcast. Oh, gotcha. Um, you're not getting up that early. I know you. No, um, I don't but want to. I, we went through this before. I kind of feel like I should keep picking against the Eagles. I hear you. You're, you're, you know, anybody that we we bust on Lefko. Trust me, Lefko loves the fucking Eagles. He's like, <laughs> he's all in on them. That's why it's fun when he doesn't pick them. Yeah, do whatever you want. Screw the people. No, I just I keep thinking I need to pick against them for the luck. By the way, at the end of this podcast, I did a pretty sizable interview, a with, healthy interview with Rich Cohen, uh, a writer that it's my favorite writer. I've read five of his books, right. which is insane. Who reads that many books? He wrote a book about the Cubs, but I asked him. He's a crazy fan. He writes for Vanity Fair. He wrote the Bears book when he came in here. We talked about the Bears. Oh, yeah, he explained yeah, right, the history right. of basketball, right. uh, football. Right. He told a story about how the trade of Babe Ruth mm-hmm. to the Red Sox led to the creation of the NFL and George Hallis and the Chicago Bears. Well, you mean the trade to the Yankees, Red Sox to That's the Yankees. That's what I mean, Sorry. trade okay, to the gotcha, Yankees. Gotcha. He told that story. We had a conversation about why do intelligent people root for sports? Like, it's so ridiculous, which right. was a lot of fun. Uh, he apparently watched one of the World Series games last year. He's a Cubs fan with Chris Pratt, the actor. Yeah. And uh, he was so nervous. And Chris, I didn't realize, was a very religious he, person. He, oh, yeah. Chris, wait, Chris Pratt is the guy that's on like, Jurassic actor. World. Yes. All those, right. 
He's a big Red uh, Yankees Red. He I mean, cooked. Patriots. He cooked Rich Cohen right. boar tacos from a wild boar that he himself killed, and during the game said, "I'm worried about your Cubs. Let's say a prayer." And they prayed together. And Chris Pratt play, prayed for the Cubs. And then at a red carpet event four months later during another huge fucking movie, he sees Rich and goes, the Cubs, they won. We prayed for them. We prayed for them. But Rich is, he toured with the Rolling Stones. I just asked him about, like, how do you start covering things and being a fan? So it's coming up at the end of the podcast. I wanted to preview it. Smart motherfucker. Hey, you don't have to explain to me. I've never more. I, I mean, like I've always told you, my only team that I'm truly a fan of in all of sports is the Yankees. I am diehard Yankee fan, and I become a child when I watch their games. Yes. Like my wife, to the point where she looks at me at 11 o'clock at night and I'm yelling at the TV screen. She's like, wow, you're still rooting for them hard, huh? <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, I feel bad with Carson Wentz and all this fanhood thinking about the Browns. Sean Kaiser is back as starter for the Browns. Mm -hmm. They have changed quarterbacks 20 times in the last 43 games. Right. Hugh is 9-29, and 8-8 eight and eight with the Raiders, 1-21 and 21 with the Browns. Was that one game enough? We talked about good for Kaiser to see it. Was that enough for Kaiser to see something? Yeah, uh, not really. Uh, you know, I feel bad. So this, this is a game I have not watched back on film yet, so I, I can't give you all the details. I know we're just watching the condensed game on TV, like the condensed on yeah. Game Pass. It was, man, it was close. It really was. He did some good things. Again, it's not an easy situation, no. but you think about his interception to Jonathan Joseph that gets returned for a touchdown. Game's still in tow there. They're driving the ball. They're yeah, in a what good about spot. Kaiser? Oh. This was supposed to be him a mental break. Yes. You think that was enough time? No, it was not. I think it was more of a, like, listen, Kaiser has played just okay and below okay, and Kevin Hogan came in and did pretty good things. How am I going to sell to my team Right. Uh, that I don't start Kevin Hogan the next week when we almost won under him. So he did that it. Makes sense. Now that's out of their system, and now they go back to Kaiser. The NFL owners' meetings, the fall meetings, just happened. Uh, Roger Goodell went up there, says that he hasn't talked to Trump, mm -hmm. that he wants to keep politics of the NFL. He says that he wants everyone to stand, that they still want to show respect to their flag. Um, and he said he wouldn't get into hypothetical discipline for a team. So they said, you know, you said that the NFL doesn't want to discipline players if they protest. Right. There are teams that say they will discipline. What will your actions be? And he says, I don't want to get into any hypotheticals. And then, of course, was the meeting yesterday where the players, a few of them came and actually talked to the owners. Are you hearing anything about this? And what's your take on all of it? No, my my whole take on all of this, just, it's, it's just... Oh. The owners are so hypocritical in so many ways, first of all. I mean, let's just talk about Jerry Jones. I mean, he, he's worried about the rights of Ezekiel Elliott. He ain't worried about the rights of the rest of the NFL. I mean, that, hey, Ezekiel Elliott plays for me. I'm worried about his rights. We're not treating him fairly. But the rest of you guys, hey, you're not on my team. Fuck off. They bother me from that standpoint. Um, you know, I'm glad Ezekiel Elliott can play. My big thing with this, uh, and I got in this conversation at the Yankees game with somebody last night. That we have to, as as players, as a player, as a supporter of what the African American community is trying to do here, yep. we have to not kneel for the anthem. It's over. Like I've said, white America has won this. Donald Trump has made this into you're disrespecting it's America changed, now. It's, it's changed totally the changed thing. the narrative, and some of the people can't even comprehend it, and they don't even know why they're kneeling. There's a lot of idiots out there that think they're actually kneeling to disrespect the flag of the military. Now they think that's why they're actually kneeling. Yeah. So and it doesn't help that this week also it came out that the ratings are down seven and a half points. Sure. A percent. Right. And that's the other year. reason I don't want it to happen. 
I want the players to again, like I said last week. I want I want good for the players, and I want the players to make money. I think money. now's actually a good time for me to do this. Uh, two really good guys in the NFL. We're going to talk about all this divide. I know some of you, and we've seen it on the iTunes page, aren't happy about the politics and stuff. Then let me talk about two guys that are doing really great shit before we get to Big Phil Sims. Chris Long donated his first six game checks of the year to scholarships at the private middle and high school in Charlottesville, Virginia, where a lot of the d- divide happened. He announced today, Wednesday, he's donating his final 10-game checks this season to organizations in Philadelphia, St. Louis, and Boston, the three markets he played, to support educational equality. Right. Donating his entire yearly salary, a $1 million base salary this season. And he said, in my 10th year, I want to celebrate the awesome opportunity I've had by giving back to the communities that have given me that gift. I just think that's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And you know what? Shout out to Howie Long for raising good fucking kids. Yeah. We've had Howie on the podcast a lot. That's a really good family. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Howie's a a stand-up guy. He's not going to take any crap from anybody. No. And good for Chris, who I think he always tweets really smart stuff, and I always appreciate it. Good guy. Other guy I wanted to spell. Oh, this is the other thing I just want to say about the hypocrisy of this. This is the point I missed. Where I was trying to go. I'm sorry I lost it because I got into something else. Is the fact that, you know, again... Rights of players, that's where I was going with the Ezekiel Elliott thing, too. Rights of players, right? They went in there and they marched and, you know, okay, you're going to talk about the rights of players to kneel, but then they want the right to not give the players the rights and we just suspend you if we deem necessary. It just it drives me crazy, the constant... The NFL bo- has their cake and eats it, too. Yes. We drives, want our players to have it. respect and then they go to a court case with Zeke and they say, but we also want to have the right that if we punish someone, no one can question Right. It. No respect. The hell with it. It's a, How do you think... Oh, let me hold on. Let me get this other thing yeah, out. Yeah. Doug Baldwin and Roger Goodell co-signed a letter sent to the Senate Judiciary Committee expressing support for a bill that seeks criminal justice reform. Apparently, Baldwin has also been doing a lot of other work, too. He's been in his own community. I just think for Baldwin to go out there and do something like this, I think him and Chris Long are actually impacting our society and community. And you can agree, no matter what your stance is with politics, there's been a huge issue in criminal justice, and it needs to be reformed, so much so that Goodell put his name on the paper, too. Right. And I think it's actually really impressive what he's done. What do you think Zeke is going through? Just mental. Do you think he's been able to focus on just no matter what happens, be ready to play? No way. No way. It, it, you know, it, he's trying his best, but you know, the first thing is is when he gets away from it, he's still got a lawyer calling him. The NFLPA calling him. Jerry Jones is calling him to give an update. Jason Garrett's giving an update. So it's constantly on his mind. There's no way you can totally avoid it. Uh, and it, it is that's hard. Football is freaking impossible when everything is going right let alone when you have to worry about other shit off the field and like mm. we like we said i mean he's still an awesome running back but i still don't think he's the guy we saw last year uh and it's hard on the team how does too. this impact the team to prepare i don't know if they would prepare any other way regardless i think that's why they need to have him out there especially this year make it happen this year to where he plays and then in the offseason, he's going to get suspended. I mean, he's going to. Whenever it happens, yeah. But, but next offseason, at least they can, can let, devote some player, some offseason to adjusting to that. Let's do a little Chris Sims Oracle prediction. Yeah. When does Zeke's suspension start? I think it'll be the first game of next year. He will play the rest of the season. I do, yes. I so think, I should trade for him in fantasy. I think you're going to see it's, it's full steam ahead now. They're going to draw it out, especially that they got the injunction yesterday. 
and then now to uh, yeah, it, it, they're they're gonna this it's gonna really play out in the spring, and that's when the Cowboys. That's why I think they're right now they're freaking out because they're going. We're not prepared to have lost them for this many games, right? So this off season they can prepare that way and maybe get a few more. Running How does back this to the impact, like let's say the Niners who are getting ready to play the Cowboys? Oh man! So they do all teams just prepare for Zeke? Yeah, well, it, it, it's not like the Cowboys are going to change their plan of attack. Really, they are what they are. They're built around this offensive line and Zeke Elliott running the game and the running game. Um, so even when you know two years ago and it was no Demarco Murray and it was Darren McFadden and everything like yeah. that, it still didn't change. But uh, what happens really is you might get more scared than you would with Ezekiel Elliott at running back. You're not going to change your defense approach, but you might go, man, second and seven, I might have took a chance to play coverage, but now Zeke's in the game. I don't know if I can afford my corner being one-on-one with Dez or whatever it may be. Those are the little things that I would look at. All right. Well, we don't know if Zeke, what's going to happen, but we do know one thing. Yeah. It is time for Big Phil Sims. Filling time with Phil Sims. We got him. You ready for the call? Yeah, call Of course. Got to make sure he shuts his freaking mouth. There's a Yankees game today. I got to get home to. Exactly. (laughs) I don't know why this makes me laugh. I love it. Let's see. It's Hopefully he's got his phone on. Hello. Oh, there he is. Who's this? Joe's Bar and Grill. Yep. What do you want? (laughs) Nothing. Uh, Hey, Phil. Hello, Adam. How you doing? Oh, I'm so good. Hey, Phil. See, this you... is I, I'm 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 um I'm good, Phil. Today, you know. Oh. Um, I can't be angry. I'm tired. <laughs> so I came in angry and yeah, tired. Phil, Chris came in. No, real well, you're angry. always angry, son. Good. So. Yes. We had an iTunes comment. Phil Jackhammer five hundred five says, "Great podcast. I think Phil in time should be called." Tell us how you really feel, <laughs> which I actually like. I do like Ooh. that, too. Who, who, somebody sent that in to you? Yeah, yes. what do you think? Do you like fill in time or tell us how you really feel? I'll tell you how I really feel. I'm going to steal it because I'm going to start using it and make some money off <laughs> make of t-shirts. it. Make t-shirts. <laughs> Perfect. All right, tell that is... us how you really feel. Yes. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say if I could really do that. Well, Phil, I hear probably that. get me fired even from a podcast. No, trust me, if I haven't been fired yet, you're not going to get fired. Phil, so I hear you have a little breakdown of the teams in the NFC that you think could actually make it to the Super Bowl. No, I didn't break it down. I think it's, uh, if I just went through the list, if you said Minnesota Vikings, can they go to the Super Bowl? Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right, okay. so here, sure, let's do this. Let's just do it this way. Pull the teams, Chris. I, I got the teams out, right? <laughs> here, there's the NFC ranked. Let's let's just right now take away the bottom th- four, okay? Like we, Tampa Bay, I don't think, can go to the Super no. Bowl. Chicago Bears can't go to the no. Super Bowl. The Giants, at this point, cannot go to the Super Bowl. No. And then the San Francisco 49ers. So no. Now, so now we have 12 other teams. Let's right. start off. You just said the Minnesota Vikings. They're number two. The Eagles definitely can go to the Super Bowl. Yes, of course. Right. The Carolina Panthers. Yes. Yes. Now, this is where it's tricky. Number four in the list is the Los Angeles Rams. Do you think they can really go to the Super Bowl? I don't Do think so. Do I think so. they really can? No, but I don't discount it just because of how there's just not that big of a difference between these teams that you're talking about. Yeah. I, so I, when I watch the Rams – when I watch the Rams, I'll still see plenty of opportunities there 
that as the year goes on, if Jared Goff takes advantage of these opportunities on a more consistent basis, that they're they're going to be interesting. And they're a big play defense. Right. That, that, Anytime you have Aaron Donald, you know, he can win the game by himself with yeah, two plays. Right. You're right. I know. This, that's actually – that's the conversation I was going to have with Dad. You cut out. You, you still there? We're still there. We're here. You hear us? Yes, I do now. It's it's Josh's cell phone. That's the problem. Yep. Um that, I know the, the point he brought up there was the, really where I was going to go with this, but he texted me before it because uh, that is the one conversation we've had here. Like People can't get over the fact that the league is so close. I think college football has infiltrated all our brains where we go, oh, the number one team beats the number 25 team by 40 points, and the league is so close, like Dad is saying. I don't mean to get us off topic, no. but I just got to – I think people – No, well, you're teams. right. Here, why is the league so close? It's so close because of many things. But the biggest one, as I say to people all the time, you're under you're underestimating the number of good players in the league. Right. And right. there's so much involved in winning a, dang, a game. Listen, you played, son. We would be on a trip coming back on the road. Let's say if we played in Arizona, wherever we played, and right. we'd be on the plane riding back, and we had won. And it was such a relief, even if we were favored. And Mark Bavaro one time turned around to me, after we had won and we were all carrying on in the plane, he goes, can you imagine if we'd have lost? And it just like, wow. Yeah. It, it would just, it's devastating to, and it's, and so, and that was what we're talking about 30 years ago now. Right, right. Now there's just so many good players. And last year, if you told me who's the best pass rusher, I'm just throwing his name out there, Von Miller, the NFL. If you asked me this year, I, I probably wouldn't say that. It might be somebody else. You know, I look at Melvin Ingram. I just see yeah. just so many guys that can make plays. And um, I think that's just one of the reasons. You take that emotion, desperation, coaching, you put all this together, and you've got a league that's bunched together like I've never seen it before. No doubt. All right, so wait, real quick, just go through the rest of those teams. We take the Rams. We did that. Okay, I don't think the Rams can legitimately in the Super Bowl. I think or go to the Super Bowl. I think they can be in the playoffs, but that's as far as I'm going to give them there. Green Bay, I, I mean, I'm saying negative Ghost Rider there. I don't think they're. No, nope, I'm, I'm saying no too, just because. Hey, look, the, the the team was built for Aaron Rodgers, and he's not there. Right. All right. That's it. All right, and then here we go. We got the the Saints, Falcons, Redskins, Seahawks. Saints, Falcons, Redskins, Redskins Seahawks. Yes to all. Yes, and then we got 10 Detroit, 11 Arizona, and 12 no. Dallas. Who are you saying no to? Detroit. And Arizona? And Arizona, yes. Yeah, I'm saying no, too. They might be able to get in the playoffs. I don't think they can legitimately get to the Super Bowl. And then you have Dallas, you know, Dallas Cowboys at 12. Well, yep, the Dallas Cowboys, you just can't discount them for this reason. One, they got a quarterback that can make plays when it's not there, but – their offensive line, it's not what it was. I talked about this on uh, our show last week that, you know, I consider, I said, disappointing things, you know, offensive lines. I went down them and I said, and last, which I really should have put first, the Dallas Cowboys, they are built for their offensive line in the same respect to dominate the game, to control the tempo, to keep their defense in situations uh, mainly off the field, right. and, and give them a chance where they're fresh. And if they hustle, they can squeeze out these victories like they did last year. Right. Hasn't been the same this year. They haven't dominated like they did last year. Of course, there's some changes, and um, that's that's why they're hey. But but can they get it right? I believe they can. Yeah. On on the offensive line, and it really is 
about their offense, the same as the Oakland Raiders. I don't know why I brought this up. But the Raiders, their offensive line, yeah. for them to have great success, it's not Derek Carr. It's the offensive line that must be great right. for them to win enough games to be a factor. And so far this year, I just watched them today, so once again I'm on their thing, but uh, no. so far this year their offensive line has not been what it was last year. Not even close. I agreed with you there. That's the one thing people are not realizing because they can't dominate the line of scrimmage. They're not protecting like they have in the last few years, all that. Okay, last thing we're going to go to real quick. Because I'm, I'm trying to make this podcast fa- fast today because it's a 5 I'm o'clock. losing you again. The phone stinks. All I mean, right. Can y'all spend some money and get better connections? Thank I mean, you. I'm going to call you on my there. phone We'll, next we'll week, talk so. about that with Bleacher Report. We do need a real landline. Um, all right, so but I want to make this quick because I want to get Hello? home. Oh, see, look at this. Well, Why did you pick it up? Oh, well, Because I'm trying to give it a straight. You hear me, Dad? Here we go. I couldn't. I, I lost you guys. Can, can we get a, a listen? <laughs> you're a high-tech company. And all this, and we can't even get a phone connection that works? No, no, we cannot. Don't even get me started on this topic right now because this will actually get me fired. Um, <laughs> the, 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 all right, so the other subject we want to talk about, we'll make this fast because I want to go to the Yankees. I want us to be on the couch to watch the Yankees game later on. All right, go. The aggressive throwing in football. It's one thing that I know you and I have talked about, like, you know, the Charlie check down, 9,000 bubble screens, and, oh, he's 10 for 11 for 120 yards, and he hasn't thrown the ball five yards yet. Like, we're seeing that fall by the wayside in football. Uh, yes. And I, I just – I would like to hear your reasons why, and we'll both just wax poetically about it for a few minutes. Well, it only takes a second for me. Listen, like anything, uh, you know, you get used to it. It's like uh, if somebody came in here every day, boy, it's not a good thing, and slapped me in the back of the head, it would hurt the first day. But by, by, by the 50th day, I'd be like, oh, man, please slap me in the back of the head. I need it. <laughs> and it, it's the bubble screens. We see it starting in youth football, all that. It, it, it filtered down. And the colleges use it, of course, because of many reasons why. I won't get into them. And the NFL, what was it, maybe five years ago, it, I was like, I was truly would do games and be jealous. I wanted to go, are you kidding me? He's yeah. 10, like you say, 10 for 10 for 200 yards and three TDs, and a fifth grader can complete it all these passes. Right. And uh, so, but they got so used to seeing it, the athletes, goes back to our original thought, the athletes have gotten better all over the field, and even if you block them, they still tackle you, and the inside pursuit is crushing them also. Yes. And I, it's... I even heard John Gruden say something about the other night, and he goes, I don't know how he said it. It's a couple of weeks ago. He goes, man, thank God we're getting rid of these bubble screens. <laughs> and yeah. Was like, he has. He's been against them. when he said it. I know. And uh, down the field, just uh, the greatest example that I can give of all the teams I've watched so far this year, the New England Patriots, it, it, may, it makes me feel good, too, this respect. Christopher, you know, Adam, we pay way too much attention to preseason and I judge it way too closely. And I get burned every year by it. But two things have come about. The New Orleans Saints are what I thought they might be in the preseason. I'm starting to see it now. Right. The Pittsburgh's defense blitzed a tremendous amount in preseason. And what I call blitzes, sometimes it's four guys, but four of them come from outside the tight end yeah, on the right. same side. Right. So that's been pretty good. But the downfield throwing, I remember watching New England when Tom Brady was playing, going, my gosh, every throw they're trying to score a touchdown. Right. I've never seen anything like it. And if you watch them these play- a couple weeks, well, just about every game, really, and especially against the Jets, it was 
out and ups, it's seams, it's deep overs. It, it, that's all. The Julian Edelman, Wes Welker playbook is completely gone. Danny Amendola, what's he doing? Running down the field. Right. Chris Hogan, he's not trying to Brandon shake somebody Cooks. loose at two yards. They're down the field, and how do they do it? Well, they just keep an extra guy in. They all grunk on the way as he's running down, hit somebody, or the running back, and now Tom Brady has the extra time, and everybody's very aggressive in pass coverage, and even if they're not, they're going to find the open spots and zones, and they just are out running them in man coverage. It's, it's, it's fun to watch. And the Patriots are doing it great. Wait, uh, the last the last part because we're going to hang up on you in a second. The other thing I think that adds to that, I just want to add this because I think the, in the conversation is the what you and I have talked about many times that fucking cover three is the Vogue coverage in football because the Seattle Seahawks brought it and now it's the Jacksonville Jaguars it's the San Francisco 49ers it's the Atlanta Falcons it's the Oakland Raiders they're all running the Seattle scheme so I think that plays into it too because I, I know you and me we, we were like damn if we got to play against cover three all the time we'd be throwing you know seams and comebacks all day long just right in the middle of the field right just anything to attack like there's no way you could play that against strong arm quarterbacks for the most part and Brady's kind of showed that but I just want to hear your two cents about that make it quick big guy no it is I'll make it quick it's I see the package it's the Tampa Bay you know the Tampa Bay two or whatever they called Tampa it back two, then you know right. the Tampa two coverage Everybody learned all the beaters, and now when you watch all these teams, I see the same plays, and they keep working against the same teams right. all the time. I saw Tom Coughlin this summer over on a football field. He was watching his grandson play um, uh, baseball, and we're just talking. He goes, did you ever think we'd see the day when cover three would be the thing in the NFL again? Right. And he just said it so ingrudgingly. I go, man, Tom, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. It's, it's incredible awesome. that it's like in vogue. And it gives up so many. Hey, I understand. Stop the run. Yeah. So everybody, but it gives up so many big pass plays. Um, but you know what? I'm, as a fan, it's good for me because yeah. I like watching it. It is too. All right, we're going to go. Adam's getting frustrated. He hasn't talked in four minutes. Oh, Adam, I'm sorry, man. Adam, you got a question for, you know, no. for what, what, what is it we're going to do? No, big Phil. Tell us how you really feel. Come on. Tell I, us I'm how not... you really feel. Phil. Phil. Feel. I think you said feel. There, mm. you sound a little southern when you said that the first time. Well, you like, know, I did live in doing? your state of Kentucky, Phil. Phil, I just want to say, hey, man, thank you so much. Real appreciate you coming by. <laughs> All right, see you. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good day, guys. All see right, you guys. see you later. Coughlin story, awesome, amazing. Also, I don't think people realize Sims. We would do. We've done thousands of videos together, yeah. and there's a few different oh, phrases that you, know that you in have. Vogue. Right. And in Vogue had its like a good year and a half run. Right. I know this is the in Vogue thing right now. <laughs> what What did you say about um, what's his name's pants? Uh, fashion faux pas. Fashion faux pas. About oh, Idris Elba's Elba. pants. Got uh, the fashion faux pas. Play pants. it by year. Smoking, smoking smoke, mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. Smoking mirrors. mirrors. Yes. Uh, cover three. Explain to people cover three. Right. So cover three. Safety in the middle of the field. The two corners on the outside. They could be playing like bump man-to-man or off, but basically those three guys are in charge of the three sections deep behind them going going you know backwards. And typically there's some form of four. 
Yes, quarters, which would just be, again, just the simplest terms. The two safeties got the middle two quarters of the field, and the yep. corners have the outside or corners of the like field. Or even like a two-man under, which is two safeties that really go back. Really deep, and then you could play aggressive man underneath because you know you have help behind you, and you don't really have to worry about go routes and the things like that. The benefit of cover three. Cover three, you're going to keep eight people at the line of scrimmage more than not, and especially like what Dad was saying, bubble screens, short passing game. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tight. Especially and then the other safety kind of Drops in the middle of the field. Yeah, it could so be, the Seahawks are the perfect example because Earl yes. would cover everything, right? And then you'd have Richard Sherman, and then whoever the other corner was, no they doubt. could cover the back, and then Cam would just sit underneath, right? And it looks like it's a lot like man to man. It's not man to man. It's a totally a zone coverage because the corners line right up over the wide receivers. Exactly right. But but like you'll see, like Richard Sherman, he always lets in like in cuts, like ten yards and in or twenty because that's not his job to cover. And that's in there. what the Patriots beat him with. Exactly All right. The in cuts. They do. I mean, and then the, it's. And then Brady has a strong enough arm to – they have enough zone plays to go – Okay, and Brady has a strong enough arm to just jam it in those little seven-yard windows yeah. over but and over But when you have the guys, when you have the Jimmys and the Joes like Jacksonville right, does, right. you can do it. You can do it. They because have you got so Bouye much... and Ramsey and yes. Church and, and Gibson. Right, they are stacked that way. The, uh, it's funny you're, we're even talking about this. Real quick with Jacksonville, the one, the, they're so good, they got to stop fucking around on defense. Well, we're going to get to that. Okay. Let's get to that right now. We have Sims's Notebook. Sim sends me pictures of his cursive writing, and I sit at my computer and I go, I think that's a T, and that might be absolute, or it might be obtuse. He wouldn't write obtuse, that's absolute. <laughs> right. First one, let's start off with Jacksonville Rams. Jaguars do way too much stunts up front. They need another big defensive tackle. Yes, they need another big, you know, right now, Calais Campbell plays defensive end for them. So they have Malik Jackson inside, who's an undersized D tackle, along with the kid Aubrey Jones. And then you got, uh, you know, other man, Yannick and Gakwe on the outside as a pass rusher. Yes. Uh, Terps. They could use a little more size. Like they, their backups are guys like Sheldon Day. He gets pushed around. But the movement thing, it, it, they're good enough to just play it straight up. You don't need to ask Malik Jackson to be in charge of one A-gap and then at the snap move all the way over across the other A-gap and be in charge of the B-gap. And you think that's a big reason why they're letting up so much in the ground No doubt about it. So when you're watching the Jaguars and you're checking them out this weekend, look to see if the guys are going straight ahead or if they're stunting around each other. They stunt too much. I mean, as you know, I mean, mean, oh, okay, uh, these are big, strong guys. I don't give a shit how big or strong you're. You're 290 pounds. And you're running sideways. You're running sideways with another 315-pounder on your back. You're not going to just stop on a dime. Sean McVay play design may be the best in the NFL. By the way, for the last six weeks, you've been spelling Sean McVay incorrectly. Have I been been V-A-Y? No, you've been been doing V-E-I-G-H. You're right. Too many letters. V-A-Y. It's just V-A-Y. But best play design in the NFL. I do think he's up there. He's the best play stealer in the NFL, which I give him a lot of credit for. Like I've had other coaches in football who I've texted with, and I'm like, I really like. McVay's offense. I think it's pretty offense. They're like, well, all he does is steal plays. And I, I go, well, there's no rules against that. So he's working extra so and he's watching looking your other great and- teams and going, oh, that's awesome. Let me do that. Yes, they do everything. They are surprise, surprise. He's 31 years old and he's willing to change. Yes, it's wow. exactly right. I mean, they everything in the run game, everything in the pass game. I mean, they won that game. It's pretty amazing. They won it with special teams, a few plays on offense, and, and and really just managing Jared Goff not to fuck it up. And I love that they manage Jared Goff. Right. You know, the fact that he knows his quarterback's limitations, right. and Jared Goff will improve. He will. But in Jacksonville against that defense, yes. I'd rather give it to Gurley. Right. Uh, another one from that game. 
Jags. I mean, it's second and seven, and there are nine guys at the line of scrimmage. Josh, it was the first time I've seen four underlines this season. Really? What are you saying there? Uh, I'm saying, like, it's fucking unbelievable what they're asking out of Leonard Fournette and that offensive line and that the defenses have no respect for Blake Bortles in certain situations, and they are literally like, safety? Safety. How rare is it to see nine guys in the line of scrimmage? Like, never? Never. Like, unless it's third and two and you have, like, shut down corners on the outside. If they had Allen Robinson, would that be any different? I don't know if it would be. I it's think it's all about Blake Bortles. And, it, and it's just like, man, who's back there at tailback? Oh, 27's back there? <laughs> Let's get ready for him. How he, impr- still, he still ran for 130 yards. He's but. the freakiest guy in football. He is the great, one of the greatest athletes we're ever seeing in the history of football. He is Bo Jackson. He is better than Herschel Walker. He is a NFL legend status. He is going there. Yes, I just hope his career can last for more than four seasons. And then Josh went, all right, hey, guys, we're going to have an we Instagram. Gotta, uh, Chris just said something really good about Chris Leonard Chris just said Fernand. something awesome. <laughs> I mean, you really feel said, that way. I, he's the best running back in the NFL, hands down. He's the best running Better back. Better than Le'Veon. He is, in my opinion. Better than David Johnson when he's healthy. Yep. There's nobody. You gave me from my offense. Better than LeGarrette Blount. My team. Again, just like I said last week, when I watched Jacksonville's film and then I went over to watch Philadelphia, uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's film, I was like, man, Le'Veon Bell's not all that impressive after watching Frank. Same thing with Gurley. I watched Gurley, and I was like, eh, kind of a letdown. He's good, but he ain't Leonard Fournette. I saw Jamal Adams being interviewed on Good Morning Football, and he was like, Leonard Fournette's amazing. Leonard Fournette's the best running back in the NFL. That's good to hear. I think he said that. Good. He played with him in LSU, so it's tough. Uh, The guy is 240 fucking pounds, and nobody can even come close to catching him. You were very impressed with Derrick Henry also. right? What is it about this guy that's that much better than Derrick Henry? I think he's – Henry's a freak, but Henry doesn't have the – the quickness to make people miss that spin move. I mean, Fournette ran the ball one time to the right side. It was a two-yard gain. And I'm telling you, Alec Ogletree, who's one of the freakier linebackers in football, ran up to him full speed and hit him. And I Leonard, I don't even know if Leonard Fournette realized he had been hit. He didn't lose his balance or nothing. He just got knocked out of bounds. And Alec Ogletree was like on his back like, oh. And it just, it's unbelievable. Uh, Giants Broncos. Mm. You wrote Giants start the game in twelve personnel, and you triple underline. Yes, it. two tight ends. Holy wow. shit! Holy shit balls, Batman! They changed an offensive formation and left go. They ran more than one running play design that game. They ran more different running plays in the first half of that game than they have the whole year combined, including last year too. And, I mean, yeah, pretty much. You're right. You also double underlined. 88 Ingram is a star. Star. He's going to be... Worthy of the first round pick. Worthy of the first round pick. He is going to be... He's a better version of Jordan Reed. I think he's just... He's faster than I th- and quicker than I even gave him credit for, I think. Now they're going to feature him in the offense, too. I mean, they get, the game plan was about Evan Ingram. It was like they just basically just said, okay. He's well, our, if we're going two tight ends. He's sets. all we got, right? And he, he, he tries to block. I mean, he's not going to win every battle, but he's not like a wuss. He's not like shying away. Yeah. But, yes, I think this is what they're going to do going forward, and I would expect him, to, if you're fantasy, get Evan Ingram. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. he's been scooped up. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> I want to have Matt Camp in here and you do like a fantasy thing where you're like, we did that a few years you're ago. Like, listen, like if you don't have Leonard Fournette, you should get him now. <laughs> Jets Patriots. It's amazing how the Patriots are so aggressive in the past game. So many throws downfield, which is what you and your pops were just talking about. There you go. And you said the Patriots have more pick plays than any team in the NFL. They're amazing. You can't even play them man to man. I mean, you, you just can't. It's just it doesn't matter if they. They can pick everybody, too. You know, three receivers to the right. Well, this play, we're going to do the outside, too. Next play, we're going to fuck you and do the inside, too. And the outside guy's just going to run away and clear and it out well for everybody. well-executed picks? Well-executed is an understatement. I mean, literally, I think the, the fucking pickers are going out there picking for the receiver and, like, measuring off the how many inches they were maybe past the one-yard mark. I mean, really? And they look over to the sideline, I think, to, like, make sure, like, did Belichick and McDaniels approve? You also wrote that Darren Lee popped a lot early. He really did Darren Lee played phenomenal um great sideline to sideline affected some Brady throws that he wanted to throw to Gronk but Lee was all over him he forced a fumble on the one carry with Gillsley when they were uh, driving in the first half but more than anything he was phenomenal in pass coverage against Gronkowski when he covered Gronkowski man-to-man Gronk had the amazing scene where he that was I mean Darren really was all over him it was just an amazing catch and everything else but other than that he was phenomenal any uh, any hope in the Jets going forward after watching that tape? Well, the Jets are the so- yes, the Jets are good. They're not going anywhere. I mean, yeah. the, the Jets got who the Dolphins this week. Yes, that'll be an interesting game in Miami. Really good game. It is, especially because the Jets aren't going to be able to run on them at all. I wouldn't think so. But what are the Dolphins going to be? The problem with the Jets is they're getting zero pass rush. Zero pass rush, and I don't know. Is the Dolphins' run game, are we going to hit where we hit last year, and all of a sudden they're going to kick ass again? I, like I don't know. 200 yards? Oh, it's yeah. only if they play the Bills. <laughs> It's scary. Just the Dolphins, what's under – under, uh, just doesn't do anything for you. They're very simple in the pass game right now, mm. which I know they're trying to protect, but also it does seem too simple. Saints-Lions. Yeah. Lions defense going forward is a little scary. No nada, and the pass defense was shaky to begin with. Yes, pass defense is. I mean, there's – we know it's a lot of good. I like Glover Quinn at safety, certainly. I really like Slay, but I do think they're like a player or two away still from having a really good secondary. And then, yes, added to the fact that it's no great pass rush with it. Yes. And now it looks like you're going to be able to run the football on them. Uh, but also, that has something to do with the Saints. Watch out for the freaking Saints. Saints offensive line is healthy and dangerous. Yes. Everyone playing where they should be, Streif back makes them a legit force. Right, and he's not even back, right? So what they're doing right now is you got your man Unger at center. You got Andrus Pete at left guard. Right Pete is right. Ramsick at right tackle. Yep. Right guard's Watford. Left guard is Teron Armstead. Those are all good names. Very good names. They really are. I mean, Pete and Ramchek are both first rounders. Yeah. And uh, I think when you Teron get, Armstead is a pro uh, ball. He is. He's a he's a player. But yes, they can beat you whether they want to go downhill between the tackles. And what they did in this game a lot too is they ran toss and edge runs. How confident are you feeling that you're going to look really smart at the end of this? Well, year? I mean, I've looked stupid. Another, I did pick the Giants to go to the Super Bowl. So I take it all in, in but one. But the Saints, do you think they're about to be I think the Saints run? are one of those teams. Like the Saints and the Bengals would be the two teams I would say watch out for in the next 10 weeks in football. They have the potential to make something really happen. You also wrote Kamara is really awesome, can do it all, says a lot about him what they are asking him to do. Yes. the, the uh, I know in that offense what they ask of the halfback to do, the rules of 
pass protection, their route running rules, all that. I was in that offense with John Gruden. It's very similar. Gruden always had a hard time. You had a hard time trusting young backs because you go, man, is he really going to know which way to break here according to coverage? Can I trust this fucking young kid to do that? Yes. And Kamara, it just be, they, he's their number one pass weapon. They do him everything with him. So that tells you that he's, he's smart and really understands the game for them to put him in that position. I got one quick thing here. Do you realize that Ryan Fitzpatrick, every time he's backed up somebody, they've gotten hurt? It's almost the Ryan Fitzpatrick curse. 2005, Mark Bolger, shoulder, eight mm. games. 2008, Bengals, Carson Palmer, elbow, 12 games. 2009, Bills, Trent Edwards, concussion. Jeez. 2013, Titans, Jake Locker. 2014, Texans, Ryan Mallett. 2015, Jets, Geno Smith, punched in the face. Yeah. 2016, Geno Smith, knee. 16, Jets, Bryce Petty. That's when he kept trying to pull them, yeah. and people kept getting hurt. And then this year, Jameis Winston. It's the new curse in the NFL. Man. And everyone calls him, you know, Fitz Magic. It's yeah. magic. I mean, it, even the guy he was in competition with at Bucks camp this year, Griffin, got hurt. He got hurt in right. preseason, right? Because he was most I mean, everything you heard. He was going to be the backup. He was. I know. Sounds like some dark magic. Well, to me. Fitz, yeah. I mean, think? he's he's got a he's got a shamrock shoved up his ass somewhere or something. He really does. I mean, it's unbelievable. He seems like a good guy. He does. Yes. What? <laughs> but. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just I don't I don't know. Was he okay in that game? He was okay in the game. Yes, he really was. Uh, he made a, he made a lot of good throws. Now it's, the game was over when he got it's in. It's so, so funny to me how defensive players react to him. Like they're all smiling when he's out there and he runs and they're smacking him in the ass and Chandler Jones is yapping him up. Like right. everybody loves Fitzpatrick because he's so not threatening. So it's just like oh hey look at it. He's got a crazy beard. He can't be that good, but he seems nice and cool. We're gonna run through these last few things. MVP board, Chris. Ba ba ba. Last week. Aaron Aaron Rodgers oh, was number three. Tom Brady was number two. Alex Smith was number one. I've decided at the end of the year, you get three points for a one vote, two points for a two vote, oh, one point up. for a three vote, oh. and that will be your overarching MVP. Remember, week one, you went a little awesome. Tariq Hill was three, Calais yeah. Campbell was two, and Rodgers was one. Who is coming in at number three after week six? Guys, like, like the defensive guys are getting shit on, then they're not going to make it. But Calais Campbell probably deserves to be in the conversation. So what are you going to do? But I'm not going to do that. Okay. Number three, Leonard fucking Fournette. Leonard fucking Fournette. Yep, that yep. is not his fucking init- uh, actual middle name, but I'll write it down here. Yep. Leonard Fournette. Sims is cursing. I'm at an all time high. You're yeah. right. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank well, God. Yeah, but when, he's, when he's talking about guys on film, he gets very excited. I right, do. He does. Right. Leonard Fournette, obviously. Yeah. Yes, Leonard Fournette. He's your last remaining man crush. <laughs> You're right. He's. A, yeah, I almost lost him, too. It would have been a, a bad week seven. Number two. Number two. We're going to Pennsylvania. Carson Wentz comes in at number two. Yeah, it's official. This is Carson Wentz's first appearance on the Chris Sims MVP board. It's going to take a lot to get him off right now because he's a baller supreme. He's been phenomenal. They're 5-1. and one. They're definitely one of the three or four best teams in football. I think I put them number two in my power rankings this week. And the number one on the Chris Sims MVP board from week six. Deshaun Tom Brady. <laughs> the old fakeroo. Uh, I was like, Deshaun. At first, I thought you were going to Jackson. I was like, what? <laughs> Tom Brady, huh? Yes, Tom Brady. Yes. I, uh, what was it? The throws to Brady yeah, Cooks? The, and- it's, like, it's like opposite Tom Brady from when we first started this podcast. It's the opposite. When people used to think I was a Brady hater. 
I mean, it's it's truly the opposite. I mean, it was like a little bit what we talked about my dad. It was a lot of dink and dunk and bullshit yards. And damn, Brady had an amazing stats. He was 36 or 46, and he didn't make one fucking throw for the whole game. And now he's just bu- Now it's the opposite. Brady bombs away. Now it's like they don't even fucking throw a screen. It's deep past the Cooks, deep past the Gronkowski. It's All unbelievable. Right. In the celebration power rankings, it was the first time that Kareem Hunt was no longer number one after sleeping on the ball in week number two. The Packers bobsled team currently has the throne. I have five dances to try and dethrone them. First one up, Antonio Brown, after his crazy catch, does the Wu-Tang. This is called the Wu-Tang. I looked it up. It is a dance in North Philly where you do a little bit of over the head and you throw it and then it gets passed. And he passed it there to J- Juju Smith-Schuster and Le'Veon Bell did a little bit there. That is That's called, a Philly thing, too? I looked it up. How? It's called wow. the Wu-Tang. Got to be right. honest, I've seen a lot of Wu-Tang in my day. That was a pretty weak Wu-Tang from Antonio. You just, have, there's no change. Just my opinion. I, I mean, I grew up with Wu Tang, and I don't remember that move. Golden Tate did the people's elbow after his touchdown. This was great. Drops oh! on the ball, doing the people's elbow. Now, The Rock did tweet him out and said he was very impressed. My first take was, football guys are fucking crazy that they just fall like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, normal human beings are like, I'm going to put my arm out. No, he just <laughs> fell. Mark Ingram did the backpack dance. Which the backpack kid dance? This is amazing. Oh, that's what that is. Yes. Okay. So have you seen the backpack kid? Well, my little girl do- used to do it all the, the time. The Katy Perry backpack kid dance. Right. So Mark Ingram whipped it out. That's pretty good. He, he later tweeted it out and said the pressure got to him. wasn't as happy with it as he thought he would. <laughs> Steelers, Le'Veon Bell beating up the goalposts, stealing a little vice, sick of Hema. Boom, boom, boom. He's boom, a lefty boom. too. The one, I like two, that. The one, two. Uh, he did get penalized for that. Why? Which I don't know how you got penalized. I don't even get that. Uh, and then I'm gonna throw this in there, Mark. Marquette King did the Sean Merriman lights out dance <laughs> against the Chargers. I just don't know if you want to do a punters. Punter. There's no way a punter's making my list. All right. And it also was a touchdown. So the Antonio Brown Wu-Tang, the Golden Tate People's Elbow, the Mark Ingram Backpack Kid, and the Le'Veon Bell beat up the goalpost. Who wins for week six? Oh, well, the one that wins week six for me is the Golden Tate People's Golden Elbow. Golden Tate Good People's yeah. Elbow. Yeah. Did you like The Rock? Back in the day, yeah. I mean, not. I mean, I didn't really ever. You're not pay a big attention. wrestling I, guy. I like rock though. I do like his movies, and I watch them. Sure. Golden Tate People's Elbow versus Packers Bobsled Team. Hmm. Tough. Hmm. It is tough. It's not easy. I think I'm going with the People's Elbow. The People's Elbow. Hey. hey. What I will do for our man Mark Bajent. People's Elbow is currently leading in the solo category, and Packers Bobsled Team is leading in the team. However, People's Elbow is the number one undisputed People's right. Champ. Right. So you weren't a wrestling fan. Like a little Hulk Hogan in that era, like in 87, 88, when he was like ripping off his red tank top. Yeah, sure. Did yes. Big Phil, we should have asked Big Phil. Big if Phil ruined wrestling. it for me. Big Phil was, he was what like, do you the, mean? he is was the fake? one like, oh, you're watching this fake shit. And I was just like, oh man, I was like, this is fake fucking A. I didn't know at that point. You're like, no, me and Lawrence Taylor, we actually <laughs> go and fucking hit each other. All right, we're wrapping up. We're up to iTunes comments. Woo! God, whatever Sims wants, he fucking gets. What I wish the Yankees bum. played every Wednesday. 
Left Goes Rants, Brad G1010. Absolutely love the podcast. Love Left Goes World Event Rants at the end and the everyman perspective it brings forth. Keep up the good work. Should make it a regular segment called Get Right or Get Left Go. Yeah. 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 A lot of good iTunes comments with segment names. L-E-F-K-O-E. Man. Man. Uh, next one up, this is the good old Ragamuffin Rider commenting. I listened to the Week 5 show. It was my first download of this podcast. Great show. Great insight. Next level analysis. I'm on board and you Welcome. guys can rant anytime. Thank you. Ooh, I like Thank it. you, Ragamuffin that was, Rider. That was professional. Uh, this one, good question here for Sims from Arik O'Connell. Called us the most unique podcast in sports. Ooh. Why, thank you. These are the kind of takes we yearn for in today's sports media. These guys are trendsetters in their competition. They'd be wise to imitate. Question for Sims. If you could remove one franchise from the NFL, who would it be and why? Pull up the teams. Pull up the teams. Pull up, pull up the teams. Pull up the teams. Up the pull teams. Up the teams. Can't just say the Jets because they're local. Number no, 14. It wouldn't be the Jets. Uh, one team from the NFL. If I mean, you could remove them. Yep. Don't say Cleveland be. either. I mean, Cleveland was definitely in my brain. Yeah, sorry. That's an easy answer. It is an easy answer. I mean, uh, hold on. One team. Here if you were had to go. relegate them down to college. Damn, that's really fucked up to do any of these teams because I am like a old school guy. Factor all of that in. All that in would go to Jacksonville Jaguars. I would have to relegate them to Class B football because their uniforms are ugly, their stadium's never full, they play in London, and they've been shitty for a long time, and they made the dumbest fucking pick at number three quarterback Blake Bortles ever. So You are a, like a very picky jersey person. I am. Who is your favorite in the NFL? Ooh, favorite jersey in the NFL. Hmm. I mean, I love teams like Pittsburgh, right? The old traditional Pittsburgh. I actually do like the New York Jets, the Dallas Cowboys. What but is the, who else do you hate? Jaguars and who else? Oh, like the t I played for the Tennessee Titans. I think that shit's horrible. I mean, I used to put it on and look in the mirror and be like, damn, look at this Am crap. Am I about to wear this? Look at this crap. I I don't even like Tampa's uniforms are better than that, but I don't think Tampa's are that busy. great. It's too much, right? I used to wear that too and be like, damn, look at this. Red and pewter and shit. I am the worst critic in everything. I watch movies. I love them all. I look at clothes. I go, that looks good. Sims over here and he's like, I don't know, cold lobster on a roll? No. <laughs> Fucking eat anything. I like the Seahawks uniforms a lot. That are the you? new school ones. Yeah. Those are my favorite new school uniforms. You like the Eagles? You like I, the old green? I want the old green. Yeah. Can the we bears, bring it back? The Bears are classic. The Bears are definitely, I was going to say them. Them and the Packers. One I, thing yes. that we love talking about on this podcast is people fighting. Oh, yeah. This one is from VVVVFVSXXMHD. Street fight. That's Damn. his comment title. Can you, uh, can you please stop betting on the Niners so we can win a game? Problem is, is we're winning all of our bets because they're, they're covering everything. Head coach and GM street fights. Who would you guys take? Kyle and Lynch, they've there be some feistiness about them. That's I don't know. for sure. I'm not taking Kyle in a street fight. You look at the teams. I'll tell you the ones I came up with. Okay, all right. Bruce Arians and Steve Kime. I just think Bruce Arians would like put a cigar out in someone's face. Oakland, Jack Del Rio and Reggie McKenzie. I, I that's what I'm, my brain is going to. Ex players and yes. like Reggie and, and Reggie Jack. Is a monster. He's a monster. You're right. Denver. With Vance Joseph and John Elway. Yeah. I just think they're both athletic. They are. And then the, my number one. Yeah. New England. 
Belichick and Belichick. <laughs> it's two fucking Belichicks. What he'll are you going to do? He'll find a way. Oh, my God. Can you imagine a Belichick game planning with a Belichick? You have no chance. Yeah. you're. I mean, okay. Uh, I already went through all the teams. Yeah, so you're, I don't know if you're going to find You're, you're pretty good. I know. I'm just giving it one quick look. Like, I'm just, uh, let's see. While you, while you look no. real quick from the BR app, Andrew Luck suffers setback. Won't practice this week. Colts cannot confirm he will play in 2017. Holy crap. Another BR app. Uh, Seahawks Pro Bowl defensive end Cliff Averill weighing retirement after going on IR with neck injury. Yeah. You said that there were some early reports where it sounded really bad. Yeah, I mean, he just, uh, it was a weird injury. Like what you said, he fell on the back of Jacoby Brissett's foot, and the heel must have hit him somewhere in that neck base area, and he was losing feeling. And I, yeah, I had a few people tell me, like, they That's were scared he might sucks. not play the rest because I, I think he was feeling, losing feeling in his arms. Broncos question from Chaz based Sims is better than Simeon solid podcast listen to every po- episode for a couple years now Sims should be calling games on TV with his dad but Big Phil phone calls suffice Lefko can't rap or pick games but otherwise you're the man thanks uh, wasn't there one more dude with an annoying voice talk up me yeah. Oh. <laughs> Question for Sims. Should the Broncos look at another option for next year at quarterback, or is Sims still capable? It's a loaded question with, uh, what's his name still there? Paxton Lynch. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's still to be determined. Simeon, not Sims. Yeah. He said Sims, but it's yeah, okay. Sorry. It's, it's still to be determined, but, you know, like I've been saying all week since last week, which is like your favorite thing, I mean, he just got to pull in the Ravens or reins there, big boy. He thinks he's Aaron Rodgers. So you like, think he could be a quarterback in this league? I do. Yes, I do. Uh, but if if we go like five more weeks here, where I go, holy shit, is he making some dumb decisions? It's stupid. It's going to make me reevaluate that. It's unbelievable what a, what a bye week can do to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite in depth podcast, and it's not close from C Duff twenty four. How important is the middle linebacker to a defense? Great ones like Keekley and Wagner change the defense entirely, but middle linebackers rarely are drafted high. Great ones are just few. Are great ones few and far between? Is the position underrated? What do you think, Sims? I think the is it becoming more important with having to cover tight ends and running backs. I, it is definitely becoming more important. It's more important too to have a guy with brains there now more than ever with some of the up tempo office off, uh, offenses and things you got to do with the line of scrimmage. You have to be an extension of that. Um, you know, the coaching staff to a degree, I think we're seeing an all-time high of great middle linebackers. I mean, we're at a, you, you just you just think about it. All right, let's go to the AFC North. Burfecht, C.J. Mosley, Ryan Shazier, uh, Jamie Collins is in that division too. Okay. I mean, you just go through the teams and you go – Is Dante Hightower a middle linebacker? He's, he's a little bit of a Jordan hybrid. Hicks. Jordan Hicks. I mean, your guy, exactly. I mean, you see Michael Kendricks. I mean, it's very important. The Falcons guys, the, the Bucks guys. Uh, it's If you really go through the quality teams of the football – The Seahawks guys. Right, you're going to start to go, oh, they have those guys. You're right. And, and yes, it's very important because of what he just said. The tight ends, the running backs, the up-tempo offenses, all that stuff. Good question. This one's a little brosen, the best. You guys are the best. You know it. So this is mostly a question that won't fit on Twitter. Adam mentioned the girly fumble last week when we were talking about Austin Safarian Jenkins. Mm-hmm. But no one's calling that one a blown call. A loose ball is out of bounds when it touches a boundary line or anything that is on or outside such line, including a player, official, or pylon. Gurley is obviously not touching the ball with his fingers. Uh, and stepping out of bounds. But the ball, ball went over the goal line ball and out of the Ball should have been dead at the one. I think it should have been a blown call this year. I think I've seen more blown calls with replay this year than ever before. Is there a change in staff? What's the deal? By the way, Bean's not me. Well, me. yeah, I mean, the, the change in staff is that you got Dean Blandino at Fox now, and they got Al Riveron in the studio and are in the New York offices. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think they've blown a few calls, too, certainly. I mean, the, the Jets thing certainly was uh, was blown in my eyes. 
Um, I do, what, what was he, is he arguing that he doesn't think those are touchbacks either? That's, he was saying that Gurley should have been out the one because his foot was out of bound too. All right, but it's where the ball is too. But and, and we had that argument on Monday, like because I hear a lot of people talking about that whole thing, like oh, what the team fumbles at the one and the ball goes out of the end zone. They should get no. The defense didn't recover. They should have the ball at the one. Or and you know I just don't believe that. You know my argument. Your thing is is that that is their zone. That is and their the zone. Ball went out in their zone. Right. The New England Patriots. That was their ten by fifty three. And if you lose the ball and are careless with it and it rolls out in their territory, well, it's their fucking ball now. Sorry. Uh, Bob Hinkelhein, love the pod. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. My question is, do you think the Dolphins' offensive woes under Cutler will make fans appreciate what Tannehill did with a similar offense last year? People need to stop underrating him. He's a top 10 to 12 QB. He's in that, he is in that class, and especially last year, he definitely was. Tannehill has got a definitely unfair rap in my eyes, uh, but I do think... Um, yeah, they're missing Cutler, but I'm not ready to totally make that statement. We saw this last year from the Dolphins. They were the worst team in football through like the first four weeks, and they kind of changed it around. I'm not going to count them out because of that running game and because of the depth on that front four. Like we said on Monday on that the podcast, game is interesting. they have eight guys that can play legit, and they play legit football, and they're solid. Save this one for the end because it's my favorite. Fan of Madden Mobile, the Aaron Rodgers of podcasts. This podcast will take you from being a football fanatic to savant. Listen to Adam and Chris has become a state my week and I hope to stick around well into the future. Where can I listen to the podcast through an implant in my brain? <laughs> also, can you guys compare Reggie White, Prime JJ Watt, Ooh. and Aaron Donald? Wow. Mm. All right, so Reggie, for the most part, was always on the edge, right? He was a true defensive end, which is crazy because he's bigger than the other two guys we just talked about who played more inside. Um, Reggie. You have no doubt that he could have played inside? Reggie could have done whatever he wanted. Could have played cornerback. I mean, I think my dad would argue, that even for today's standards, Reggie would be a freak, period. Like, And we have a lot of freaks at that position. Yeah. But we're talking about a guy that was 305, 310 pounds who could beat you with enough speed around the edge, but yet also throw you off of him like a toy. Um, so I think Reggie, from that standpoint, is unlike any other human you've ever seen. And I, I mean, God rest his soul, I met Reggie a few times in person. I mean, all-time legs and ass, okay? And then he's 6'5", and it's an easy 300. Like, it's not like he's having to get in there and yeah. I got to eat an extra meal, or it's literally like, I better watch what I eat or I'm going to be 330. What about uh, Prime J.J. Watt? Prime J.J. Watt is maybe the most disruptive D lineman I've ever seen. He went through a run there, I think, in four or five years. I mean, J.J. Watt's hands down first ballot Hall of Famer, hands down one of the best defensive linemen to ever play the game. I don't care what his stats say, anything like that. Uh, he was a total game plan changer, a total we have to adjust what we're going to do against them this week. There's no way we can leave our garden tackle one-on-one with him all game. I don't care who your garden tackle was. So a lot like a Reggie White in that aspect, but just not on the edge as much. More of he it. also had like the swatting of balls. And yeah, he's amazing, right. I mean, I told you in the stories about New England. I mean, we New England, I had to break, break film down to basically find out certain formations where he was going to be away from where we were trying to throw it because Bill was not going to let J.J. Watts swatting the balls ruin our game plan in New England. So we made tapes of, show me all the tapes he's on the left side. And I had to go through games and go, here he is on the left side. So we could orchestrate the quick passing game to be on the right side to not mess with him. And then Aaron Donald is like a Warren Sapp, but probably even a hair more athletic than a Warren wow. Sapp, but a slightly less stout 
stout as a Warren so sap. So Warren was a little bit better against the run. Well, a little bit. It, to me, and, and again, it, it might be a little bit about the system in general because Donald's just been in two systems where it's just like, get up field, fly up there, doesn't really matter. Where Sap was a little bit like that, but they did make him hold his ground from time to time. Donald, though, again, is one of the all-time greats. He's on pace to be first ballot Hall of Famer. He's that special of a guy, yes. How? So one, two, three. I would still go Reggie one- I'm going to go for now J.J. 2 and Aaron Donald, but Aaron Donald is not written yet. Like, J.J. Watt is on the last quarter of his career. Yeah. Uh, but Aaron Donald, yeah, he has a chance to catch a J.J. Watt, but that'll be really tough. I mean, people need to remember, and I'm sure they do, and I hope they do, there was that year where there was a legitimate campaign for J.J. Watt to win MVP. Yes. I mean, that he, he was the sacks. only one. He had 20 sacks. He took some interceptions back to the house. Yes. He was Caught winning some games. touchdowns. Yeah. Right. Solo for his team. He was winning games by himself. Right. And now it is time for you to go. Sims, you're going to go catch your train. Coming yeah. up in a few minutes. Go Yanks. One minute. Rich Cohen, my interview with him. Uh, awesome author. My favorite one. So, Take that for what it's worth. Uh, wrote an awesome great, uh, book about the Cubs, Chicago Cubs, the, the legend of a curse. Uh, for Sims. Peace out, homies. For Fendrick. Good night, everybody. I am L-E-F-K-O-E. Man. Man. Uh, here is the second part of the podcast, the interview with Rich Cohen. And tomorrow, we will have our pick show. where We'll go through all of the picks. And Sims is going to make fun of the fact that I am down thousands of dollars. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. We have had him before, and it was necessary that we have him again. Multiple New York Times bestseller for books like Monsters, which we talked about on this podcast about the 85 Bears, The Sun, The Moon, The Rolling Stones, and I'm going to say all the ones I've read, The Fish That Ate the Whale, The Life and Times of America's Banana King, Tough Jews. You are the most, you're the author I've read the most of, Rich Cohen, and it's good to have you back. Thank you. Uh, you're a co-creator of Vinyl. You're a big-time contributor for Vanity Fair. Uh, and you have this new book, The Chicago Cubs, Story of a Curse. And the first thing I want to ask is, we're recording this Tuesday. You're down 2-0. The game is tonight at 9 o'clock. What is a crazy Cubs fan way of watching the game? How, what is your setup? Are, is your family allowed to talk to you? How does this work? You start taking some sort of uh, pharmaceutical at about noon to prepare. So gotcha. Blood, blood chemistry is right. I mean, Get a good base. Yeah. It's scary. I mean, as a Cubs fan, you've been through it so many times. If you're a younger Cubs fan, maybe you you're, don't have the disease. That's the funniest thing about this. Right. Is that your kids who are Cubs fans, oh, yeah, they win the World Series. Right. They, oh, yeah. And, you know, you think, okay, so last year in the World Series, they were down three games to one. You know, and it happens. Oh, down 0-2 is not an uncommon thing for teams that win right. the World Series. Theo Epstein had a team down 0-3 to the Yankees, you know. So, but as, a, as an older Cubs fan who lived through 1984 and all that stuff, it's like when it, you, you've seen this so many times that you're almost like you have a kind of PTSD Cubs fan version. I can imagine. Yeah. So it's bad. It's scary. And that's why you want them to score early just to relieve the tension. Yeah. I can feel it in you. And I want it to be released. So are you watching it by yourself or with the fam? I'll watch it with my family who will talk about a lot of stupid things that will annoy me and get between me and the screen. And then I'll probably snap at somebody. I tried to watch an Eagles game last Thursday at a bar, and it was, I couldn't handle it. People yeah. just talking to me, bringing up things, going, oh, that was definitely a flag. And you're like, 
Come on. Right. And you also realize the announcers, who I have a lot of respect for, if your team is losing, the announcers, you imagine this guy sitting next to you at the park. It's like they're rubbing it in. Yeah. As, I don't know, Clayton Kershaw is having a great game. They're telling you how great Clayton Kershaw is. You're like, would you just shut up? Oh, man. So I'm pulling for you. (laughs) I was actually at Wrigley for the World Series last year, game three against the Indians. The one nothing. I was at that game. Which is a little scary because I'm being called this year the mush because all of my NFL picks are going bad, and I worried that I brought that energy to you guys in Game 3. After the Cubs beat uh, Washington in that crazy Game 5 in the NLDS, my father called me up and said, my father's from Brooklyn, he said, I I think not only have the Cubs slipped the curse, I think they've gotten the ability to curse other teams. Passing it along. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. I mean... That Game 3 in the World Series last year was, to me, why baseball highlights never work. Because it was like almost going to a Halloween movie. Mm. If the big killing at the end never happened, it was all false scares. I mean, you walked out of there and somebody tapped you on the shoulder, you just scream. Yeah. And it ended with, I was there too, it ended with Javier Baez doing what he does, which is taking the biggest swing. It's almost like a cartoon where he like spins himself into the ground like a screw. (laughs) I remember there was so much tension in there. I know. That's and it never got released because they lost right. the game, and it, it was very, very tough to watch. And that's the thing about baseball, why it's been kind of a tough sport for the modern age, I think, is so much stuff's about highlights and little clips. And the fact is, you remember a play is so exciting, and if you go back and watch it, it looks like nothing, because it was all the tension and then the release. Yeah. Where you get, like, the game the Cubs played against Washington, where a third strike goes between the catcher's legs... And the and and the runner gets to first and a run scores and you pass out. Yeah, exactly. You know, but if you watch it on a highlight, it's like, what's the big deal here? It really, yeah. You know, when you look back, I was like, what well, nothing? That was nothing. But it it felt like something when I was there. Uh, I'm a Philadelphia fan. There's a lot of fans in the NFL that have never won anything. Uh, Detroit hasn't won anything. Cleveland hasn't won anything. Uh, the, the list goes on and on. Why do we do this to ourselves, do you think? You have studied so many different fan bases now, mainly in Chicago, Bears and Cubs, but why do we put ourselves through this? So I was just talking to somebody about this and about how this sports is the only thing where you would invest so much time and the outcome could make you miserable. You know what I mean? Like, would you go to a, like a five-hour movie at the end of which maybe every good guy gets killed and the movie's over and you go home? Sounds I mean, like an eagle season. <laughs> um, and that you know is often what it's like. I think it's just because you sort of... A team is like a country if you're into it. It's like you're a citizen of a country and you root for and it just becomes part of you and you just almost can't escape it. There was a point after that Steve Bartman game, 2003, where I'm like, I quit. You know, this has gotten so miserable. The Cubs haven't won in 108 years. And um, not only are we losing, we're now attacking fans and blaming fans for the 108 years. And I just quit. But you can't quit because it's like being an American or something. It's like that deep. So, Well, you wrote in, in your book the story of a cursed Chicago Cubs that when you gave up the need for a championship is when you believe you were able to actually right. win one. Well, because I really do think being a Cubs fan in my era was like you become the natural Buddhist of the game because – you have to learn to live in the here and now because there is no October for a Cubs fan. It's like whatever you're getting now is as good as it's going to get. And I do sort of felt like when I, the, the, what causes suffering is desire for victory. And the only way to get rid of the suffering is you have to give up the desire to victory. And when you give it up, then you, it can be fulfilled. And I feel like that's what happened with the Cubs, which is I stopped caring or tried to, and then they won. And as a superstitious fan. Yes. I come to believe that those things are connected. And often I felt like Cubs fans should thank me because many things I did 
made the championship possible. So Sims yelled at me for this yesterday because I said, I'm going to pick against the Eagles the rest of the year. And he goes, so you're telling me that Carson Wentz is going to go, did Lefko pick us? Oh, he didn't? Okay, then we can go and win. Right. But that's how we feel. I, listen, I, I realize that um, me carefully not jinxing the Cubs resulted in them losing every year. And last year I decided to jinx them all the time and say things like they'll definitely win the World Series, and they won. So you're telling me I should pick against the Eagles all year? Absolutely. I should see if this works. The worst thing is when you realize that when you don't watch your team wins and when you do watch they lose, and you realize as a good fan you cannot watch your team. Oh. That's where I am. That's where I am. My mom calls me a mush. That's where I've gotten. But in terms of teams also and ideas, you have a really cool part where you're talking about Joe Torre. And Joe Torre is comparing Yankees and Cubs in terms of belief. And he talked to you about pictures, just what they have up on the walls. Oh, it's Girardi. Excuse me, Girardi. And Girardi was talking about pictures, what the Yankees have up versus what the Cubs have up. What, what What did he tell you? Well, in 2000, I went around travel with the Cubs and try to figure out why they can't win. And I asked Girardi, and he said, well, in Yankee, in Yankee Stadium, basically, they you, they you go start the season, and the expectation is you're going to go to the World Series. And if you don't, it's a, the season's failed. And look around the locker room. There's pictures of all the great teams of the past, and that gets into you as a player. And I said, yeah, but the Cubs have pictures. He goes, yeah, but look at the pictures. He goes, in Yankee Stadium, it's all pictures of the team on the mound celebrating in the locker room, pouring champagne. Look around these pictures. It's all players by themselves celebrating individual accomplishments. It's Fergie Jenkins getting his 3,000th hit or Hack Wilson hitting his 190th RBI. There's no sense of the team accomplishment. It's the individual player. And the message gets through to you, and you deliver on the expectations. And I also asked Mark Grace, and he said, the attitude here is if we finish 500, we've had a good season. So mm-hmm. we finished 500. Do you think that's something that happens in every team? Like, do you think the Patriots have the team up everywhere? It's not just Tom Brady, whereas, like, let's say the Browns, they have that one Jim Brown picture. Do you think that goes? that's universal? Yeah, I think it's like a business in a way. And we, we're so focused on what's on the field. But what's on the field is just the product, and it's the product of the organization. And the Cubs organization was bad. And the result was bad teams. And um, Theo Epstein came in and he said, we're not going to worry about the product for a while. We're just going to worry about the organization. And he spent three or four years just rebuilding the organization and the team lost 100 games. But then the players started to come. And he had this attitude, I think, which is right, which is that if there is a curse, it's almost like a bad culture. And it's passed on from old players to young players. When things go wrong, they go, oh, here we go again. What do you expect? Mm. We're the lovable losers. I went through a few weeks ago and looked at every owner in the NFL and how they made their money and saw if there was a correlation between how they run their team with how they ran the business that helped them acquire the team. And for me, it was like kind of shocking to watch like the paper and packaging Robert Kraft, you know, of, of good system and structure led to the Patriots or Paul Allen of Microsoft fame led to the Seahawks and what they are. Right. And then you look at the Browns, who their owner, Jimmy Haslam, just went through a $93 million uh, fraud case. Right. And then you look at Dan Snyder, whose sole creation was advertisements inside of buildings, like making money with no purpose, which right. is kind of how I see Washington's run. Yeah. Were the Cubs like that, too? Because I feel like they were like a historical ownership group, like the Bears kind of were. Well, it's interesting because it's a bunch of things I I've sort of have theories on, which is, first of all, the product is incidental. In this case, the product is a baseball team, a football team, whatever. It's like the guy I wrote about, Sam the Banana Man. The product was bananas, but it didn't have to be. It could have been anything. It was great business. And I do think that to be an owner, a great owner, you have to love the sport and want to win and be a good businessman. 
And with the Cubs, it's a classic thing where they had that in William Wrigley, the chewing gum guy. Man. But he died, and he left the business to his son, who when asked, what's your favorite sport? Oh, gosh. Said craps, which I'm not sure. I don't think that's a sport. I don't think so And he didn't even go to Wrigley Field once in the last 20 years of his life. He never went. Wow. He didn't care about baseball, but he's a good marketing guy, and he knew he had to give the fans some reason to come out to the park if it's not for a good team. So he said, we're going to make Wrigley Field such a gem that they'll come win or lose. And they almost lost their incentive to win because the park was full all the time anyway. So I do think that it is like a business where the first generation builds it and the second generation inherits it, and they're often, they don't have the same desire. Wow. Now with the Yankees, it seems... Here they are, unbelievably, right. you know, three games from the World Series again with a new generation. But that's unusual. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think about James Dolan. I think about all these second-generation owners. What, the Bears are kind of like that, too, right? Yeah. Virginia McCaskey, that's Hallis's daughter, still alive. And I think there's a rule in the NFL that you have to control 51% of the team. And there's a lot of McCaskey kids. So, so when she dies, the, who knows what's going to happen. What do you think would happen? Well, is that a fear? Like, do you think about that? Well, for Bears fans, it's not a fear. Bears fans, I like the McCaskies because the ones I know are great people. Yeah. But um, uh, Bears fans think, you know, they want Theo Epstein to run the Bears. <laughs> They're like, where's Theo Epstein for the Bears? Because the Bears have been bad for so long. Man. And even the 85 Bears, like, why did that team not win another Super Bowl when they were so great? Right. And, um, you know, but I do think that unless one of those grandkids of George Hallis gives up his shares, that team's going to wind up having to be sold. Wow. And that's like one of the original teams. That is the original team. George Hallis started the Bears basically so he had a way to keep score. You know, he started, it was a a company team, uh, Staley Starch in Decatur, Illinois. That was the coolest part about your book, Monsters, was just realizing it was a bunch of steel mills and factories that had their own football teams, and then they became the Bears. Right, that's how they all started. The baseball teams, too. The baseball teams were town teams, like the best guys in town would form a team. And in Cincinnati, some jerk basically got a bunch of ringers to go around and beat everybody, and it's so infuriated the businessmen in Chicago, that they got higher paid ringers Man. and started the team they called the White Stockings because the Cincinnati team was wore Red Sox. And that became the Cubs. Wow. You know, So I always think when you look at the Cubs, you're looking at a team that was basically begun for revenge and for spite. Because like in Cincinnati, like who do they think they are? They think they're better than us? You right. know? And it's interesting because the Bears and the Cubs are completely intertwined because Hallis was a great, George Hallis, who started the NFL, was a great baseball player. And he played for the Yankees. And he played three weeks for the Yankees. Couldn't hit a curveball. Okay, he went into Comiskey Park. He struck out, was struck out four times by Eddie Seacott of the knuckleball pitcher Golden for the White Sox. Yeah, and Seacott was a guy who fixed, took the money to fix the 1919 World Series. And then when Hallis wow. was sent to the minors, and while he was in the minors, the Red Sox and the Yankees made the deal that sent Babe Ruth to the Yankees. Babe Ruth was going to play right field. That was Hallis's position. He took a job as a civil engineer. The guy who ran Staley Starch said, I see you're not playing for the Yankees anymore. Why don't you come down and run our company football team? Stop. And he got rid of every player on the existing team except one, who was Iron Joe McGinnity, <laughs> who was a great baseball player, who had played for the 1908 Giants and was involved in the Merkel game, which wow. is a famous 1908 game where the Cubs won their last World Series, and wound up rolling on the ground with Joe Tinker, 
the Cubs shortstop over who would control the ball to touch the base to get the out to create the extra game. Right. And eventually, McGinnity got the ball, threw it into the outfield. Tinker ran it down, found the fan who had it, asked for it. The fan said no, and he knocked him out. To get the ball. To, to get the ball to tag the second. So, the so game. Babe Ruth led to the creation of the Chicago Bears in a weird way. Yeah. And also, then Hallis, wow. when he moved the team from uh, Decatur back to Chicago, made a deal with Bill Vex Sr., Bill Vex's father, who was a president of the Cubs, to say, your stadium's empty all offseason. Let us play there. So that's where the Bears played up until 1972. My gosh. And he called them the Bears to distinguish them from the Cubs and to say, look, we're Bears compared to these Cubs. And leading to my favorite story, which is in, when the Bears played in um, Wrigley Field, and you found this a couple years ago when Northwestern played there while they redid right. their stadium, it's actually not big enough for a football field, and one of the end zones was cut off by a brick wall. And there's a famous play where Bronco Nagurski, the fullback of the Bears, handed a ball, puts his head down, leather helmet, runs through everybody, runs head first into the brick wall. Knocks sort of silly, comes back to the bench, and Hal says, are you okay, Bronco? He goes, yeah, but that last guy gave me a really good lick. <laughs> My gosh, that's hell of a story. That's awesome. When you write a book, you go so far in the past. You're writing about the Rolling Stones. You're going to go past Muddy Waters. You're going to go to Robert Johnson. You're going to the creation of sound. When you're doing um, Monsters, you have to go to the creation of football to talk about why the 85 Bears matter. So this is your big passion, the Cubs, and you're going to start. For your writing creative process... Where do you go? Like, do you go back to the beginning to start off? Is it research? How does that all happen? I actually went back to the very beginning, you know, which is how baseball started, where it came from, the first teams, the first players, like the New York Knickerbockers were seemingly the first real team. And, and, um, and then I write all that. So the first version of the book was about twice as long as the book ended up. And then later I decide, you know, to cut a lot of it where it actually should begin. Are you going like on the internet like where are you going to find all of this rudimentary like s- structural information well the best stuff is old articles and newspaper archives see the chicago tribunes some version of it's existed for hun- over 100 years yeah and the new york times and they covered this stuff man and then you can go back and read sports is great because it was always covered like it's war yeah. with statistics <laughs> yeah so you can find these real specific statistics about guys who played over 100 years ago and how the game developed and like I'm always interested in where stuff originated. So, and I'm not always right. It's just a theory. But like you mentioned, my book Tough Jews about Jewish gangsters and yeah. the kind of original gangster who taught all the other gangsters how to behave was Arnold Rothstein, supposedly the, the guy who fixed the 1919 World Series. By the way, so see it connects. Stop. And he's the guy who gave the money to fix the World Series. I don't think he really did, but that's a debate about it. But Rothstein used to carry all his money in a big roll in his front pocket. When somebody asked for money, he'd take the roll out and snap it off. And that was imitated by all the gangster, younger gangsters who admired him, and you still see people doing it that to this day. The guy that normally sits in that seat, Sims, is a big right. rubber band roll guy. So he's imitating Rothstein. Or, and he doesn't even know. Without knowing it. And it with That's the, awesome. And with the Cubs, like with the curveballs, and they show you how they throw the split finger, how they show this, and you, they show their hands. And sometimes like they have their index finger bent back. You've seen all that, right? Yeah. Okay, so to me, I think that there was a Cubs had the, the great Cubs teams of the early 1900s had a pitcher, 
Mordecai Centennial Brown, Three Finger Brown. What an incredible name. Yeah, he was because he was born on the Centennial. Wow. And when he was a kid on a farm in Indiana, he shoved his hand into a wheat thresher and chopped off his fingers. And they reattached some of them, and the rest were, uh, he was missing one and mangled, and he wanted to play baseball. And when he played infield, he'd throw the ball to first base, and it had these wicked curves on it that the first <laughs> baseman hated. And somebody said, hey, man, try pitching. And he developed wow. a lot of the curveballs, like the split finger. They're all versions of the way he pitched just by the way his hand was. So he naturally had this hand that created curves, and now we're bending fingers to try and mimic a man who had mangled fingers. Exactly. Wow. That's how I see it. And to me, the analogy is to Arnold Rothstein and his bankroll. It's awesome. Um, it, I'm, I'm curious. So you actually, you're interviewing Jim McMahon for your book, Monsters, and you get there, and he goes, did you hear? We got Theo Epstein. We're going to win the World right. Series, which is, I'm sure you're looking at him going, all right, Jim, you don't get it. Well, it's great, because Jim McMahon was my favorite player on the Bears, and yeah. he probably remains my favorite player of all time. And number nine rem- remains my favorite number and my lucky number because of McMahon. Because if you were a kid who grew up in Chicago, McMahon came in like a completely different energy. Oh. He's awesome. The story Sims has told, too, where he would go to like the Pro Bowl and he'd have like the headband. He's like, hey, what's up, kid? Like right. he, was just, he was just that guy. He was magnetic. He was cool. He was like a rock star. You know, in the world, in the very staid world of the yeah. Bears in the seventies uh, or eighties, and um, basically, so just the idea that he was really wants the Cubs to win the World Series is what you want. Yeah, like that this guy's actually rooted in Chicago, though he's living in Arizona, and he wants the teams to win. He's a Blackhawks fan. You know, uh, he's really good friends with a bunch of the players. Really good friends with uh, Ronick. You know, man. Yeah, so that's what you want. That's, right, that's yeah, you don't want him indifferent to the team. Right, like they're just mercenaries. And I went to interview him, and I knocked on his door, and he was wearing a T-shirt that said, got milk, and underneath it said, got pot. And he had a big thing of skull, <laughs> and he said, we're going to win the World Series, Theo's coming. And he was so excited about it. And I was thinking, And then I saw there was an interview right around the same time where Kurt Schilling said, I think on ESPN, he said, well, the Cubs are going to win the World Series. Theo Epstein's given the money he needs, they will win the World Series. And which is, you know, now it seems like not a big deal, but the Cubs right. hadn't won the World Series since 1908. And um, Schilling pitched, you know, for the Red Sox in the year that they broke the curse. So yeah. he was speaking of his own experience of watching him build the team. But that's when I really got reengaged because really interested as a Cubs fan and just really interested as a sports fan, like how do you take kind of a diseased organization and bring it back to life and make it new? And if you go to Chicago now, a lot of people are kind of bitching about all the stuff Ricketts has done to the stadium, how he's changed the stadium and the area around Wrigley Field, how it doesn't... It's, and to me, it's like that stuff goes with winning. Mm. You have an energetic owner that's doing stuff. That's what Wrigley did, the original Wrigley. Let's build stuff. Let's try stuff. Let's make money. You know? right. And that's what Ricketts is doing. It's on field and it's off field. And for me, I understand the attachment to the past, but I felt like I grew up as a Cubs fan in a museum. Right. And I'm glad to be out in the sunshine. Well, I was at Yankee Stadium on on Monday night to watch Game 3, and it's the same interior as the old one, but everything, the concourse, it's a, it's perfect. It's clean. It's it's new. It's all that. I thought what's interesting, though, about McMahon, I imagine that there's been this weird thing with Bears fans and their quarterbacks since McMahon. Right. They can't get the right guy. They're never living up to it. Jay Cutler was really the anti-McMahon. He was so dispassionate that it was like the polar opposite of McMahon. All the names, Caleb Haney's and all that. And now you got Mitchell. Right. And I'm curious what your feeling is towards him as a Bears fan. And then also, what do you see as Chicago fans reacting towards Mitchell? Cause you mean Trubisky? Trubisky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Well, so you got to understand, like, Chicago and quarterback is really interesting because the modern quarterback position was invented by George Hallis with the Bears with Sid, Sid Luckman, who still holds – he's seven touchdowns in a game. I don't think it's ever been broken. It's, it's been, been tied. tied, yeah. Right. So – and they had the T formation and they had the 73 to nothing game in the championship against Washington. So that's where the real air attack comes from. And then the Bears had this horrible run of quarterbacks for years and years and years. After having on one team – I forget who it was, but it was like – Three great quarterbacks on one team, and one of them was Johnny Lujak, I think, from okay. Notre Dame, and one of them was the guy who went out to Oakland, George Bland, I think. And, yeah. Um, and when I was a kid, they had Vince Evans. Remember him? No. He would be. He was great arm. He'd be five feet away from a player and throw the ball 120 miles an hour and bank <laughs> off his helmet. Harry Carey used to say, "Why isn't he pitching?" That's awesome. You know. And then they had the famous court, Bears quarterback was Bobby Douglas, who was picked because the, sure. Be- the Bears lost a coin flip to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh picked Bradshaw. The Bears picked Bobby Douglas, and Bobby Douglas athletically was six six. Incredible, he could throw. They call him End Zone Bobby. He could throw Prototype. from end zone to end zone. He could throw a hundred yards. Wow. Okay, and he was a horrible quarterback. And you realize the reason is because the offense was so complicated. They'd tell him the play, he'd get to the line of scrimmage, and he would have forgotten the play. Man, and he would just say hike, he'd, and he'd run around looking <laughs> for open people like you would, you know, in a flag football yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, backyard football. Which is why he led the team in rushing yards many, oh, many years. Funny. So then McMahon was this new kind of quarterback because McMahon doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion. If McMahon had played for the 49ers, he would be Joe Montana. He was that good of a passer. We talk about that with Sims's dad too. Yeah, because they were going to draft Phil Sims in San Francisco. It seems like that spot, whoever took that spot with Bill Walsh, was destined, and it ended up being Joe. Not to besmirch what Joe Montana did, but I can see what you're saying. Right. Yeah. And, you know, he would find, you know, a lot of short passes where guys run after the catch and a lot of, you know, using the pass like the run in right. a way. And in Chicago, you had Walter Payton and Mike Ditka, and all Mike Ditka wanted to do was hand to Walter Payton and pass only when they were desperate for yards. So when McMahon made big plays, he called audibles. That's what was so funny in Chicago, which was after they would score a touchdown, you'd see Ditka screaming at McMahon. Freaking out, yeah. Because he'd called to change the play. And then after McMahon left, which is crazy that McMahon left because he left like he'd only been there a few years. He won right. the Super Bowl, but he wrote a book where he trashed the owner of the team. So that was it. It was done after that. He went to San Diego. There's been, you know, the next uh, quarterback was Harbaugh, and there's been this run of guys never works out. Never. And right now, as a Bears fan, it's like being a Cubs fan. It's like I see a big athletic guy who can really throw. But he's too, it's too early to say, but do I don't necessarily feel like I'm seeing a guy who knows how to win football games. And mm. that's what was amazing about the 85 Bears is one of the guys who was one of the guys drafting everybody, I think it was Venice, one of the Venices, said to me, we, were just, we didn't care how far they could long jump or how fast they sprinted or whatever. We wanted guys that knew how to win football games. And we looked at Jim McMahon. He had the famous game in the Holiday, Holiday Bowl where they were down by like four touchdowns with like four minutes left, and he came back and he won the game. And that's what the Bears had. They had you would see Jim McMahon. He would have bad statistics, but when they needed a way, to, they needed to score. He found a way to score. Right. In one way or another, the guy was getting in the end zone. You know, and that's just like an instinct. I just don't think enough credits. You see it in every sport. Yeah. Like guys who just know how to play the game, and they might not even be the best athletes on the team. And and if you measure them based on athletic skill, they might look mediocre. Right. And that's what I'm looking for in a quarterback. It's He's too young. He hasn't played enough. No, and of course. And maybe he'll be great and he'll be the answer. But, you know, there's another line that Vinici said. He said, when your best players are your best people, you're in great shape, you know? Well, it all goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, which is culture. 
and it's getting from the top down the the right mission. I don't think enough people with whatever they're doing, whether it's writing a book, starting a company, not a lot of people sit down and go, what is my goal? Right. And I think that's the problem with a lot of these franchises. Well, I always think of a line from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the movie, sure. ABC, Always Be Closing. Always Be Closing. And, you know, that's like what you need as a football team. Just I say it to my son who plays hockey, like, all this skating stuff is like really good, but there's a there's a the reason you're doing it is so you can basically your team can score a goal. Exactly. <laughs> you know, guys, Sims and Left go faithful. Uh, I know that Sims has so the guy Sims has read one book in his life, and it is a JFK conspiracy book, uh-huh. and he swears by it. Which one? I don't know. It's ridiculous. Uh, I have read a lot of books in my life, and a good handful of them have been from Rich Cohen. And I'm telling you that you need to get this one, The Chicago Cubs, Story of a Curse. It's going to teach you about everything from baseball to the Cubs to the city of Chicago, and it's a good read. Just go on Amazon and just buy all of his books, because I'm telling you, they're all fantastic. Me and Ryan Holiday, another guy that I've had on here before, we occasionally text about your books for we don't talk a lot, but when we do, it's typically about your fucking books, so they're really good. I appreciate you coming in. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd want to tell people about this one? Um, if you buy it, there's a chance my kids will go to college. Hell yes. <laughs> Education. Guys, thank you so much. As always, our pick show will be coming out tomorrow. Hopefully, my picks will be a little bit better. I'm hoping that the Rich Cohen rub-off of the mush, I'm, I, I can't give it to you. I can't. I don't want to mess up your Cubs. No. No. So I'm rooting for the Nationals tonight. No, the the Dodgers. Excuse me. I'm root- <laughs> I'm going to root for the Nationals and the Dodgers so that they don't come back. Cubs are going, facing the Yankees in the World Series. Rich, I appreciate you, my man. Check out, out the Chicago Cubs, Story of a Curse. Go on Amazon. Take it down. Love you guys. Talk to you soon.